Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here's a story of a scary incident that took place in the early 90s. At that time, I was just out of high school and working my first full-time job. I had no interest in going to college then, so my only option was joining the workforce and becoming an actual adult. My job was a night auditor. If you're not aware of what a night auditor does, the job basically requires you to do everything from check-in guests all the way to setting up wake-up calls and balancing accounts for the night. Despite only being 19 and at the usual level of lazy for a kid my age, I loved my job. Well, I loved it most of the time, but when crazy things happen, like what I'm about to tell you, it was probably the worst job in the world. Possibly the scariest thing I have ever experienced occurred on a quiet Monday night. Now before you hear this story, I should tell you more about the hotel I worked in. It will help in the telling of the story later on, so don't worry. The place was set up in a similar way to those run-down hotels you see in movies. You had your usual covered drive-in at the check-in desk that led into a big parking lot with spaces in front of the rooms. Despite the fact that there were three stories, I was told never to check anyone into any of the third-story rooms because of strange occurrences in the past, but that's a tale for another time. Although I may make the place sound massive, in truth I could see every room from the desk. My only blind spots sat just around from the windows, and I could check those on my walkthroughs. Since I'm on the subject of walkthroughs, I'll place the actual beginning of my tale right here. As I said, this happened on a quiet Monday, which was one of the slowest nights for customers. During the tourist season, we did pretty brisk business all through the week and weekends, but it was the middle of the winter, and the hotel had never been smack dab in the middle of the tourist roads. You had to see one of our billboard ads or know where we were at already. So, if I was lucky enough to check anyone in, it was usually one of our regulars. The night this happened, I had just finished one of my walkthroughs, checking that there was ice in the machines, things like that. I had just returned to the desk and sat down in the office located behind it. From what I remember, I was doing paperwork when I happened to look up at the bay of monitors for the security cameras and spotted a guy in black standing just out of view of the windows out front. Being naturally curious, I continued watching him while he stood there looking around for anyone in the area. I guess when he was satisfied that nobody was watching, he pulled a black ski mask from his pocket and put it over his head and face. I didn't see a weapon at the time, but I sure wasn't going to give him time to pull it out. Since I had a good idea what he had planned... I ran as fast as I could to lock the front door so he couldn't do it. I could see him through the windows as we both ran for the doors, but I got to them first and turned the deadbolt just before his hand touched the handle. The mask he was wearing had a hole for the mouth and a sneer of disgust slowly grew on it. Seeing how angry this made him, my stupid smug self mocked him with the biggest grin I could manage. He slowly raised his hand, and that's when I finally saw the gun. 
The smug grin disappeared from my face and was replaced by a look of abject fear. I couldn't see my face, of course, but I could tell from the smile growing on his he knew he was in charge. When his hand reached my eye level, I could literally see down the barrel of the gun. As he pulled back the hammer, the cylinder turned and clicked. Everything seemed to be moving in slow motion. Then, like he was putting an exclamation at the end of a sentence, he put the barrel to the glass. When he put his finger on the trigger, I honestly saw my life flash before me. It hadn't been a long one, and it was about to end. That's about the time I peed myself. I'm not going to lie, it happened. For a second, I considered trying to make a break for it, but when I attempted to move, I was frozen stiff. So, in an act of acceptance, I closed my eyes and waited for the shot, but it never came. I have no idea how long I stood there, but when I finally got the courage to open my eyes, he was gone. I could feel my knees about to buckle, and a queasiness filled my stomach. There was a row of chairs next to me, and I managed to sit down before I collapsed. As I sat there, crouched over with my head between my knees, fighting the urge to vomit, I tried to figure out why I wasn't dead. Did you take pity on me? Did you not have the guts? Really, I didn't care. I was just happy to be alive, and if I ever meet that guy again, in different circumstances, I'll thank him for not pulling that trigger. The idea of calling the cops went through my head, but I decided against it. They would most likely be unable to catch the guy, and I couldn't identify him. What I was going to do was change my pants and quit this terrible job at this terrible hotel and go to college after all. I finished out the night and quit the next morning. I told my boss about the attempted holdup and the guy with the mask, just out of courtesy in case he decided to come back and that was it. I enrolled at a local community college that spring. After my two years there, I moved on to a large Californian university where I eventually earned my MBA and went on to work at various corporations around Southern California and Nevada. I'm finally working for myself as a consultant and employ several others. Despite the overwhelming fear I felt that night, the incident ultimately turned out to be the wake-up call I needed to get my life in the right direction. I had spent so long in school I was in no hurry to move on to another. Besides, I'd witnessed the success of some of my friends were having without going to college and I'd convinced myself it had nothing to offer me. However, I learned that night a lesson I'd like to pass on to young people just out of school. If you truly believe college is not for you, don't go. But you owe it to yourself to be very sure. Because if your life turns out to be different than you had hoped, you could end up like either one of those men, staring at each other through those glass doors all those years ago. Recently, I was re-watching The Civil War, a PBS documentary by Ken Burns made in 1990 that was, of course, about the war between the North and South in the mid-19th century. Seeing this again reminded me of a terrifying incident I suffered almost 25 years ago. The experience itself didn't involve ghosts or creepy creatures, but at the time was just as mortifying as any of those things. At that point in my life, I was living in Chambersburg, a somewhat small town in Pennsylvania, not far from the state capital, Harrisburg. I was visiting several towns and cities in South Carolina and Georgia to do research for a new historical novel I was writing set during the Civil War. 
My trip was moving into its second week after I took a longer-than-expected stop-off in South Carolina to visit a former sorority sister. Once I had gotten back on track, my work was moving at a quick clip and, because of that, I hoped to make it back home by the end of the month like I'd planned. I'm aware most of you out there reading this may not understand, but this was at the time when the internet was still in its early days and most of the information available now was not then. If you needed to compile a large amount of information about a certain area or event, you had to go to the place and pore over their records. Of course you could, and still can, find some facts from books, but any book could only provide only so much information. Therefore, a beginning writer who lacked the money to afford a researcher to do the work for her had to do it for herself. By the time I reached Atlanta, I was sick of being in a car and was looking forward to finding a hotel and getting some rest before I had to make the long drive back home. My plans in Atlanta only required a half a day's work and the extra two days were set aside for sleeping and sightseeing. I made it there, and none too soon, since I had been nodding out for the last hour. Not being a wealthy woman, I had to find a place that was budget-oriented, so to speak. With a bit of driving, I found a middle-of-the-line place and pulled in. The guy at the counter was a kind but fragrant fellow that was all too eager to help me. As I was standing at the desk, a couple entered while engaging in a full-blown argument. Like anyone else, I looked over at the couple, curious about them and what they were arguing about, but the male soon noticed me and asked me what I was looking at. All I could manage was a shrug since I was a tad surprised at his reaction. Mind your own business or I'll black your eye. This threat left me even more confused and I was afraid he was about to approach me, but he turned and left the lobby with the woman, rejoining the argument right where he left off. I looked to the counterman to see his reaction, but his expression showed that he was well accustomed with this type of clientele. I was so bewildered by the whole scene, I took my key and drove over to my room. When I reached my room, I was pleasantly surprised, sarcasm, to see that the couple was only two doors down from me. Their room door stood wide open, and the male walked in and out of the room, pacing with a beer can in his hand. To my relief, neither of them noticed me. They must have been more focused on each other's words as they continued to argue over God knows what. I was finally able to take a breath once my door was closed and enjoy the quiet, but that wouldn't last for long. With the room's air conditioner roaring, I was easily able to fall asleep, but by that evening I was awakened by a big racket akin to a cannon blast. I dragged my groggy body from the bed and peeked through the corner of the curtains. Once again, all the noise came from that one couple. Boxes were being thrown from their room out into the parking lot and the man, by this time, was stumbling and yelling with a loud slurred voice. Loud bangs shook the walls of the building despite there being an empty room between us, and the female's voice, although being somewhat muffled, was still easily heard. Not being a person that liked confrontation, especially after what had happened earlier, I tried to ignore them and drown out the noise with the television, but after 30 minutes of it, I called the front desk. My hope was he could convince them to quiet down a little since he'd appeared to know them. I asked him not to mention who had made the complaint and... He promised he would not, but once I thought about it, it'd be pretty obvious it was me. Going back to my TV viewing, I waited to see if my call would make any difference. At first, it seemed to have worked. The chaos had stopped and I could no longer hear anything at all. Relieved, 
I let out a sigh and leaned back on the headboard to relax. That was when the knock came. At first, it seemed like a bad idea to answer it, but once I had a second to think about it, I considered the possibility that they wanted to apologize for bothering me, and that's why I ultimately did. Naturally, this was the worst idea I could have had. When I opened the door, I had on my disarmingly charming smile. But the man wasn't there to apologize, and the smile quickly melted from my face. Look here, you uppity Yankee. If you make one more complaint, I'm going to kick your backside all the way to back across the Mason-Dixon line. When he said this, big gobs of spit flew all over me, and his choice of words were in no way as nice as what I've written here. His words made it sound like the last 130 years hadn't occurred. I couldn't believe there were people in the South that still sounded like this. Although, I was certainly scared to death, especially since I was a lone female so far away from home, a small part of me was entranced by this man's words. However, I was far more scared and had no idea how to react. My silence seemed to make him angrier and his face grew redder and redder. That was when I said the only thing that I thought may make him go away. Look, mister, if you don't leave me alone this second, I'm going to call the police. For a moment, I thought this had worked, but it only seemed to escalate the problem. He lunged forward into my doorway and we struggled for a second until I managed to close and lock the door. The police showed up fairly quickly and took down my statement, including his words earlier in the day. Considering he was very intoxicated, they decided to book him with public intoxication and took him into custody. This whole time, his girlfriend sat strangely quiet and did nothing, but once the cops left, I saw why. You dirty Yankee tramp, I'm calling my brother up here and they're going to take turns tearing you up. She left the door open so I could hear her make the phone call. Whether she was serious or not, I certainly wasn't going to take the chance. I had had enough of these two hillbillies and their threats, so I quickly packed up the few things I had out and hopped into my car. I drove around until I found a far nicer hotel and checked in. Despite the fact that it was going to cost me much more than the previous place, I felt that my safety was worth it. Thanks to the run-ins I had with a hee-haw couple, I decided to complete my work and make the drive back, straight through. It proved to be rather difficult, but thanks to many cups of coffee, I managed to make it home two days early. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the last time I was in the South. Now before the comments come in saying that not all Southerners are like that, I want to assure y'all that I'm very aware of that and in fact many of my colleagues are Southerners and they were fine people. With the advent of the internet and interconnectedness of the world, I have had no need to take any further research trips, but if a particular event requires my attendance and it happens to be in one of those great states, I'll most likely go. With that being said, if ever in my life I am required to visit the fine city of Atlanta, crazy man and bloodthirsty woman, let's never meet again. I was browsing Reddit this afternoon and came across this subreddit for the first time. Even though I'm a big coward when it comes to anything scary, this has to be the perfect place to share a terrifying incident that involved my cousins and myself about 15 years ago. At the time this happened, I was approaching my 16th birthday. My family had a big reunion every year in Southern California. 
Since I hadn't attended since I was little, my parents thought it would be a fun way to spend my summer break. It would also be a great opportunity to get to know my cousins. There was three of them, and they were all girls around my age. After I thought about it, it sounded fun, so I agreed and flew out the next month to Los Angeles. The reunion was held at the same hotel we were all staying in. When I arrived there, I was met by my cousins, Jennifer, Belinda, and Stormy. It was amazing how much alike we all looked. We all had long blonde hair and blue eyes, not to mention our facial similarities, but it made sense since our dads were brothers. The biggest difference was how tan they were. Since I had been inside all winter in Minnesota, they were much darker than me. My uncle and dad decided to let us stay in one room together. It was a big fancy bridal suite. When we saw the room, we came up with this joke that we were sisters and we were staying in the hotel together for my bachelorette party. I was chosen as the bachelorette because I was the oldest and looked a little different, like an older sister often does. We spent the rest of the day at the pool and talking to guys. Stormy, who was only 14, managed to trick a 25-year-old guy into thinking she was 19 and gave her his number. We were having so much fun, we stayed up until about 4 talking and laughing. In the morning, which was about noon for most of us, we ordered breakfast and then headed for the pool again. Our day turned out to be even more fun than the one before it. This time Stormy got a pair of twins to buy her lunch. That girl was on fire that week. Later that evening we all got dolled up and had dinner at the hotel's restaurant. But this time, the story we'd created had taken on a life of its own. My cousins had been telling guys all day that we were there to party and asking them to buy them drinks but most of the men were wise enough to know that they were lying. After dinner, we joined this cute pair of older guys that were sitting in the lobby. When they noticed us leaving the restaurant, they had asked us to sit with them, and since we had nothing else to do, we did. Once we had sat down, they began asking us our ages and names. Of course, we lied and said we were in our early 20s, and they actually believed us. I couldn't help but giggle a bit. This was the most fun I'd had in years. Jennifer and I didn't say much. We left that to Belinda and Stormy. At one point, Stormy invited them up to our room, but I had to take her aside and remind her that her dad was staying in the room next to ours and would surely not like it. I didn't want to be a stick in the mud, but I wasn't comfortable with having two strange men who looked to be like 30 or something in our room. At the point it was approaching midnight, I told the two younger girls it was time to go back to our room, and they argued at first but once Jennifer backed me up, they gave in. We told the guys to meet us at the pool around 11am and we get lunch together. Then we went back upstairs to our room. We stayed up talking about the two men and what we were planning on doing when we saw them. That lasted until about 2am when we decided to go to bed. The lights had just been turned off in the room when we all heard the doorknob start jiggling very fast, like somebody was trying to get in. At first, I thought it was my mind tricking me, but once it started again, I got scared. I asked the other girls if they were also hearing it, and they said yes. Without thinking, Belinda jumped up from her bed and said she would see who it was. I yelled out to her to stop her from opening the door, but it was too late. Jennifer got up and turned on the lights, and I joined her at the end of the hall. When Belinda opened the door, she turned to us and said no one was there then turned back to the door and stepped out into the hall. That was when we saw a person in a black mask jump out and grab her. As soon as they grabbed her, she began screaming and fighting to get away. 
By this time, Stormy had joined Jennifer and I. All three of us were also screaming and running for the door to help Belinda. When we made it out into the hall, we saw that the person was attempting to drag her to the elevator. Even though she was fighting as hard as she could, she was losing and getting closer to the elevator. Thankfully, my uncle came out of his room to see what was going on and saw Belinda being dragged away. He didn't hesitate to attack the person in the mask. Once he hit them a few times across the head, they dropped her and ran off down the hall. They made it to the stairwell and disappeared. We all ran to her to see if she was okay. She was obviously scared and upset, but thankfully didn't look to be hurt. Once he was sure she was alright, my uncle called hotel security and told them what had just happened and they called the police. The four of us girls just sat there and held each other and cried. We were all so happy that Belinda was safe. Despite the hotel's attempt at catching the person by locking all the doors, the attacker still managed to get away. When the police arrived, we tried our best to describe the attacker, but since they were wearing all black and a mask, we didn't have much to go on. Belinda was pretty sure it was a man, but that was it. Over the rest of the week, we all spoke to the police several times and repeated what we had been doing the past couple of days. When my uncle heard about our little inside joke about being in town for a bachelor party and how we had been lying to the boys about our ages, he was mad to say the least. The police told him that one of those boys was most likely the one that had grabbed Belinda. His theory was that they were trying to kidnap one of us to potentially sell us to a trafficker. Since we looked so much alike, it didn't matter which one of us opened the door. He said girls that looked like us were super popular in the rest of the world and that traffickers would pay top dollar for one of us. We were all so scared we spent the rest of the week in our room and refused to answer the door for anyone without a key. As soon as the police said it was okay for me to go home, I took the first flight back to Minnesota. I was still scared of strangers for a long time and had to go to counseling to get over the worst of it. From what my cousins told me later, they did also and found it hard to trust boys that they had just met. Unfortunately, the police were never able to find Belinda's attacker and punish him for what he had done. It had been a long time since this happened and when we have taken family trips to Disneyland, I've caught myself wondering if one of the men walking around could be the one that tried to kidnap Belinda that night. Then I'd get a shiver down my spine and remember, it could have just as easily been me. My friend and I are having a contest to see who had the scariest episode in our lives, and I'm positive that once you see this one, you'll vote me as the winner. You may have already read his, the story about the broken window and the guy in the woods, but I assure you, mine will be much scarier. This took place when I was 15 years old, and although I'm 25 now, I'm still not sure of what to think of it. At that time, I was enjoying my life and it seemed to show in my dreams. Almost every one had a positive theme, at least the ones I remembered. Yes, like any normal person, I had nightmares and still do, but... They were either not that bad or I forgot them right away. That was unfortunately about to change and on a family vacation to the hillbilly heaven of Branson, Missouri. Each year my family tried to pick a new location to vacation in and this year was Branson. We had been there once when I was around 10 or 11 but since then it had opened up a lot more attractions, especially musical theaters. 
We had just driven in from Oklahoma City, so everyone in the car was tired. Thankfully, my parents were meticulous planners, so our hotel rooms were ready for us when we arrived. I guess since my brother and I were approaching the age where we could be trusted, we were given our own room. Then again, maybe they wanted to get busy in peace. It didn't matter to us either way, the room was really nice. It even had its own little living area with a TV and we. We managed to play Call of Duty for around an hour before we decided we should crash. Just like I figured, our folks had us up at the crack of dawn. It never made sense to me why they would do this. I thought the whole point of vacation was to get some rest and relaxation. Instead, they have us up at 8am and we'd have to sit around for another two hours waiting for them. Once they were finally ready to go, my dad would drive us from place to place like his butt was on fire while yelling at Jeff and I the whole time. We couldn't understand why he was so angry and stressed out. That's probably why I don't go anywhere on my holidays off. It always seemed more relaxing just to sit and chill at home. Anyway, we did the usual touristy things that people do in Branson, riding the ducks and stuff like that. We made it back to our hotel room at about 5 to clean up and go out to dinner. I think my dad had some plan for us to go see the Presleys or some hillbilly crap, but we were saved when my brother got sick during dinner, so the remainder of the evening was spent in our room playing the Wii. Jeff started feeling a bit better by bedtime, so we decided to stay up a little longer playing games. I called it about midnight, and it wasn't long before I was asleep. She came at some point, I'm not sure when. I could tell that I'd been asleep for quite some time because it was so hard to move. Then again, that could have been part of her power. Not until later did I see the clock, but that would only tell me the time then and not when she made her entrance. I wasn't aware of her presence at first, but I was already able to see most of the room. My brother was sprawled out in his bed with the covers half off of him, basically the way he'd always slept. The air conditioner's low roar was there hanging in the room, but much quieter than I'd remembered. I just laid there for a moment, taking in the peacefulness of the overall environment, until I noticed a figure just on the edge of my vision. I tried to turn my head sideways to get a better look, but it wouldn't move. This made me a little concerned, and I still had no reason to get upset. Most of the room was still within my sight. When I switched my eyes to the foot of the bed, hers locked with mine. At first, all I saw was her eyes, but her head seemed to grow larger and out of the darkness until it was nearly all I could see. I could feel the rest of her, climbing slowly in occasional bursts up my bed. This was when I truly began to panic. The battle to move anything was a loss. It was like I had been frozen in a block of ice, but without the cold. Even when I felt her hands touch me, I was unable to shrink away. I so badly wanted to scream, just get one short sound out. The tears ran down my temples. I was sure I was going to die. She continued to crawl up the bed until her face sat a mere few inches from mine. This was the first time I could clearly see how horrible her face was. She resembled your stereotypical old witch with hairy moles on her chin and black crooked teeth. Her breath was the worst mix of rotting flesh and musty air. When she first saw my tears, they seemed to excite her. She began shrieking and laughing, running her filthy claw-like fingers in small circles on my bare chest. My fight to break free from her continued, but it gained me nothing. 
Her weight on my body was starting to be too much and I began fighting for air. It became obvious to me that her goal was to suffocate me. I knew I couldn't last long without oxygen and I would be dead in a matter of seconds. Just as I took in my last breath, I woke up. My body took over from there, grasping at any air it could get. Basically, I was hyperventilating. Within a minute or so, I was finally getting control of my breathing and was able to realize what was going on. I stayed laying there on my back for a minute, maybe to reassure myself I was still alive and very happy to be so. Slowly sitting up, I looked at my body for any scratches or marks, but none were there. I also looked around the room for any sign of the witch, but the only other person in the room was Jeff, still sprawled out in the same position. That was the first time I began analyzing the whole occurrence. Had I really been asleep, having a bad dream, or was it real and what I saw actually happened? Jeff was in the same sleeping position as in my dream, and I'd been able to see everything in the room while being asleep. If I had... That would make that horrid woman real. There was no way I was going to be able to figure it out that night, if ever. I did know I was way too scared to go back to sleep. The alarm clock on the side table said it was 4.35am. Although I was still very tired, I was too afraid to fall asleep, so I went back to the TV and fired up the video. I guess I did nod off again at one point because my mom's banging on the door woke me up at 745 after three plus hours of waiting, I was happy to be back on the road for home. Despite our vacation only lasting the weekend, I got the impression that everyone was happy for it to be over. I know I was, and not just because of the nightmare. Speaking of the nightmare, I found myself scared to go to sleep for at least a week, but once it looked as if, though, she wasn't coming back, my life went back to normal. Because of my age, I got to avoid family vacations for the rest of my time at home. I made sure to schedule work, especially heavy that time of year, in order to avoid them. Although I say life soon went back to normal, my fear that she could return still haunts the back of my mind. At least once a week I find myself trying to decide if that was truly a nightmare or if that thing was actually in that hotel room with my brother and I. I've done a small bit of research surrounding sleep paralysis and like, and I know the hag, as many call her, is a common part of this problem. If the horror that I went through that night was just a scary dream, I hope I have outgrown the condition. But if that woman and her group of monsters are truly real, I can only pray they got their required dose of fear that night, and that they never return to reap another from my newborn son. My daughter is a subscriber, or whatever you call them, to this forum and she's told me that this would be the perfect place to tell the story of a near-death experience I had roughly five years ago. She'd been prodding me for quite some time to write it down, so here you go. First, I'm going to lay down some brief information to make things that come later in the story make more sense to the readers. At this time, our family, which includes my husband, my daughter, the one that is a member here, and myself were living in El Paso, and I received a phone call from an old friend in Houston. Her news for me was sad, to say the least. 
She had been diagnosed with breast cancer and she was wondering if I was free to come down and help her through the treatment until her husband returned from his work assignment overseas. He wouldn't be able to return home for at least a couple of more weeks and she had no one in the area that she could trust to help her. Being one of her oldest friends, I agreed right away and began packing that night after dinner. Since I'm terrified of flying, my only option to get there was by car. My hope was that I could make the roughly ten and a half hour drive without stopping. I wanted to get to Houston as quickly as possible because her surgery was scheduled for early Monday morning and I would be leaving Saturday morning. Theoretically, it would be no problem getting there by late Saturday, but I wanted to figure in the possibility that I'd have to stop and sleep somewhere in that ten plus hours. Anyone who is to make that drive would know it is very exhausting, especially when you're alone. I was out the door and on the road by 7am. My car had a full tank of gas and I had a cup of coffee. So, other than stopping to take restroom breaks, a time I could go also grab snacks, I shouldn't need to stop. Even better, as far as I could remember, I'd be able to follow I-10 all the way there. Things were looking good. Nothing interesting really happened on the drive, other than seeing a few wrecks. That may have been why it proved to be so tiring. I only stopped once during the initial three hours, and that was just to relieve myself. However, after stopping to take a restroom break and eat a Subway sandwich at around 12.45, I noticed after I'd driven another 30 minutes or so, I was getting very tired. I knew I only had about four or so hours left, so I decided to try to power through it. The longer I drove, the harder it was to stay awake. At one point, I came very near to running off the road, but I woke up just in time to avoid it. Now I was scared. I chose to stop in San Antonio and get a hotel room to grab a few hours of sleep. I knew I was only a few hours from Houston, but I was making good time, so it was no big deal if I stopped. I'd feel better when I woke up, so I pulled off the interstate and stopped at the first hotel I saw. The area looked to be safe, so I left my bags in the back seat when I went in my room. I was out almost as soon as my head hit the pillow. When my eyes opened again, it was 10pm and I felt far better than I had 7 plus hours before. Since I had the room, I decided to take a shower before I hit the road. On the trip out to my car to get some toiletries, I noticed a man walking toward me, but considering he was still a good 50 yards away, I didn't care. I don't know why I should have, he was most likely heading to his room. I wasn't the only person staying here after all. Once I'd showered and was getting dressed, I began hearing the voice of two men outside my room. Initially they spoke with a regular volume, but the discussion quickly escalated to yelling. Since they obviously couldn't see me, I continued dressing and attempting to hear what they were arguing about. One man's voice sounded like he was walking away but he was by no means shutting up. It appeared the fight had ended, so I walked around the corner and into the bathroom to brush my teeth. I turned on the faucet, and that was about the time the gunshots started. It sounded as if though the battle of the OK Corral was going on outside. Not sure what to do, I laid down in the tub. My theory was that the bullets may be stopped by the metal the tub was made of. I'm not sure if it would work in practice, but... I lacked the necessary time to deeply analyze it. The shooting lasted less than 30 seconds. Despite that, I stayed in the tub for another minute or so, just to be safe. When I started to hear the police sirens in the distance, I figured it was safe to come out. I peeked out the curtains and saw no one, 
so I walked over to the door to get a better look. That was when I first saw the bullet holes, or what I assumed to be bullet holes. There were two of them spread roughly two feet apart, and they were about the size of my pinky. The police pulled up as I walked out. It seemed like a good idea to put my hands up, and as it turned out, it was. After they patted me down and were sure I wasn't involved, they asked me what I had seen. I told them what was just written above for y'all, and they asked me to hang around for a little bit to talk to the detectives. Apparently, one of the men involved, the guy standing directly outside my room, had been hit by at least one of the shots. A small blood trail led away from the hotel and down the access road where it seemed it was stopped. I called my friend and told her what had happened and let her know that once I was released, I'd be at her house a few hours later. The cops took my information and finally let me go just after midnight. Still relatively fresh from my nap, I drove non-stop until I made it to my friend's place a smidge after 3am. Her and I figured, since we were already awake, we'd go ahead and make breakfast. While we sat at her table enjoying our meal, I filled her in on all the dirty details involving my drive across the state. I got the feeling that in certain parts, she didn't believe me, but I guess if I hadn't experienced it, I may not believe it either. Her surgery on Monday went very well. I stayed with her for another week and a half until her husband arrived, then I drove home. I'm pleased to say that the trip back went smoothly. I even managed to make the trip non-stop this time. The excitement of going home must have given me the extra energy I needed. I'm even more pleased to say that after a round of chemo, her cancer went into remission and has been ever since. I can't tell you much more about the shooting. To my knowledge, neither of the men involved were ever caught. I tried to keep up with the story, but it quickly faded away. Since I was never contacted again, I imagine the police just closed the case and moved on. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to end this story, but I guess I'll close by saying, men shooting up hotels and breast cancer, I beg of you, let's please never meet again. employed at a Los Angeles area hotel that was recently the scene of one of the strangest freak accidents I've ever heard of. When I say recently, I may mean as soon as yesterday, or as long as five years ago. I'm purposely being vague in order to protect my job and my employer's identity. Don't bother to try to find the place in which this occurred. The few accounts of the incident were reported in a way completely different from the way it happened. I'm just telling the story to make it clear to all of those reading it that life can be snuffed out like a candle, instantly and without warning. With all that out of the way, let's get to the story. When the story took place, I was 27 and had been with the hotel for around three years. I'd started as your run-of-the-mill bellboy, but when the opportunity to fill in at the desk came up, I took it. Then a few weeks later, when a permanent job at the desk became available, the managers gave it to me. My managers and myself could tell right off that I was much more suited to desk work. While I had always done my job to the best of my ability, I enjoyed helping people and solving their problems, far more than humping their baggage up and down stairs. Pardon me for tooting my own horn, my only aim is to lay down a small amount of background before I dive headfirst into this crazy tale. My career specifics aside, the hotel itself was always a peaceful and fair working environment. 
Everyone working there did their level best and on a daily basis to ensure the residents' privacy and safety. Unfortunately, on the day this happened, our usual stellar level of service was found lacking, although through no fault of our own. I guess I've led you on long enough. Let's get to the heart of the matter, shall we? My assistant and I had only just checked in one of the participants an hour earlier. The other gentleman had been in his room since the night before, apparently getting very drunk. The guests next door to him reported later hearing glass breaking at around 5am. When I first heard it, I was at the desk completing the morning regular paperwork. The report of the shot made me jump from my chair. I instantly ran out into the lobby asking every employee I saw if they knew where it came from, but no one was sure. Luckily, the lobby was empty of guests since it was still early. Within a few minutes, a call from one of the members of the cleaning staff came through the desk and I was called back to take it. She had been working in one of the fifth floor linen closets and had heard what sounded like a gunshot coming from the room across the hall from her. My assistant and I ran up to the fifth floor and knocked on the door of the room we suspected of being the source of the shot, but received no answer. I used the door key to enter, still quietly announcing our entrance just in case we were wrong, but sadly, we were not. Even though I knew a gun was involved, I was still unprepared for what I saw. Upon turning the corner of the room, I saw his body. The gentleman had apparently put a pistol in his mouth and pulled the trigger. He was obviously long gone, so I instructed my assistant to call 911 and request they enter through the service entrance in order to not draw attention. You may see this as a crude act, but my job was to think about the hotel's reputation, regardless of my personal feelings. I'm sure the man didn't care. He ended himself in a public place. He had to have known some poor employee would find him. He obviously had no regard for anyone else. Whether you know it or not, people die in hotels on a regular basis, so the police and paramedics were familiar with our practices. When they arrived at the room, they did their job and soon allowed the paramedics to take him away. They gave us the okay to clean the room and within an hour, it looked just as it had before. Like I said, we were very well versed in cleaning up after the deceased, no matter the way in which they pass. I was a little shaken up, but I did my best to stay composed. I was in a position of leadership and I didn't want to let the situation get out of hand. Anyone who felt unable to continue work was allowed to go home and the rest of us had a short meeting in the office so we could air out our concerns. That lasted about an hour and then we all returned to our work. We tried to return to our normal day's routine and until around 11am that morning we had. However, some short time after then I received a call from another girl in housekeeping she was obviously upset. Through her tearful words, she told me that when she entered her room to clean it on the sixth floor, she found a man that appeared to be dead on the floor. I'm sure you are thinking the same thing. No way. You gotta be kidding me. I could tell she wasn't, so this time I called the cops myself. They didn't have to be asked this time. They entered through the service entrance once again and met me in the room. I guess they were a bit suspicious about the circumstances because the same detectives arrived to investigate the scene. I left them alone to do their jobs once again and went back to work. Now I was starting to be confused rather than shaken up. Not even hotels have two unrelated deaths in the same day. The chances were astronomical that they weren't. All I could do was wait for the detectives to contact me and let me know what was up. 
An hour or so later, a knock came at my office door. It was one of the detectives. What he told me next is still the craziest story I've ever heard to this day. From what we could tell, the bullet from what occurred this morning on the fifth floor went through the guy's head, through the wall, and diagonally up the floor of this guy's room and hit him in the heart. We were unable to find it this morning, figured it was just stuck in the floor somewhere. He was dead in under a minute. Poor guy never saw it coming. That's probably why he had such a surprised look on his face. Believe it or not, this isn't the first case I've had like this. Sad thing, but it just serves to remind us that life is a precious thing and can be ended in a flash. I'm always sure to tell my wife I love her every day I leave for work, even if we just had a fight. That was it. He said bye and went back to work. My mouth was stuck open. I really thought I'd heard it all growing up in L.A., but I'd been proven wrong. I felt sorry for both of the poor dudes, but the second guy was just minding his own business, not hurting anyone. It turned out that he was in town to attend his mother's funeral. Now his family would have two funerals to attend. The guy who ended up being the cause of this mess was found a week later, to be a local guy that had just lost all of his savings he had invested in some scheme. The note that the officers found in his body stated that he had done this in the hotel so his children wouldn't possibly find him. I can respect him for that, but he didn't bother to think about us. The lowly hotel staff that would have to see his brains sprayed all over the wall. I realized I sound mean, but I still see that guy all the time in my dreams, and it's not cool, believe me. Like I said at the beginning, I posted this story to remind the readers of this sub that we could die at any time, at 6 or 60, from flu or stray bullet. Life has no guarantees or promises. Please remember this. I was recently reminded of something the detective told me. I'm always sure to tell my wife I love her every time I leave for work, even if we just had a fight. Since I first remembered that sentiment, I made sure to do the same with my wife. If there is someone special in your life, perhaps you may want to try it. It truly can't hurt. Expressing your love never can. The story I'm about to tell began in the early 80s when I was still a rookie. Keep in mind that all throughout the telling of it, I will purposely be vague and alter names and times to avoid letting those reading it be able to discover the exact identities and locations of those involved in the case. My reason for doing this is to protect the integrity of the investigation and privacy of all the poor individuals thrust into this awful situation. Also, you must remember that since this is still an open case, my desire is to share an interesting and scary story without ruining any chance of it being resolved in the future. So grab yourself a drink, kick back, and prepare yourself for the story of a string of cases I call The Curious Case of the Hotel Homicides. As I said, I was still considered a rookie in the division, only seven months in at this point, and had yet to lead on a case, but this was all about to change when we found the first girl. When I arrived at the first hotel, I only knew the basic facts. Dead woman of the night, strangled with ligature. However, once I saw the extent of the damage to her body and the strange way in which the scene was staged, I knew this would be far from a routine case. 
the girl had not only been strangled, but had her heart removed from her chest. As you can imagine, the bed she was on was soaked in blood, but other than a few tiny drops inside the shower drain, the rest of the room was spotless. When I say spotless, I mean it. The guy went as far as removing every print from any imaginable service able to take one. The room was cleaner than it had been since it was built, and he was well aware that this would leave us with next to nothing in any way of evidence. We did our best to find any possible witnesses, but in this neighborhood, we had very little luck in the past, so despite an exhaustive amount of canvassing and file searches, we came up with Jack. The most we had was blood, and as you can guess, all of it came back to the girl and no one else. How could you come up with nothing in a hotel room that witnessed thousands of terrible things every year still mystifies me, but as this case continued to unfold, I would soon discover that was a feeling that many of us involved would experience on a regular basis. You must remember that this all occurred in the time before the science of DNA, until that space age of crime would come along, we would be saddled with the deaths of five more women, just related to this case, not counting the hundreds of others that would continue to go unsolved in our area. It wasn't long before I caught a new case and, to my amazement, it was another street girl's body in a hotel room. Of course, this second one would play out much like the first. No wits or determinative evidence to lead the investigation anywhere. Before we could complete the canvassing for the second crime, a third girl's body was discovered in the hotel next door from the last. The nerve of this guy was beyond any other I'd ever come across, whether it was during my time on patrol or the short time I'd been on homicide. I want to make it clear that crimes rarely work the way they do on TV shows. You often work a case until you run out of information and move on to the next, and there's always a next. While working that case, you still have the hope more info will pop up on the last one, but more often than not, it never does. The case may not go cold, but you may find yourself waiting months for anything new to come along. Strangely, after the third investigation fizzled out, the next body we were expecting never came. Despite how horrible this may sound, with each failed case we hoped for one more murder. Each time this scumbag took another girl's life, it gave us another chance to find the one piece of evidence it would take to put him in the chair. We feared our last opportunity had passed us by. Without any new information coming in for over a year, the small group of detectives put together to wade through the lists of possible suspects and profiles sent in from the FBI and surrounding counties was disbanded, and the detectives involved, including myself, were put on the new cases. Almost as if he was waiting, about a month later, he struck again. This murder was relatively the same, but this time, instead of wiping the scene clean, he appeared to have worn gloves. Smudges showed up in multiple locations, but none of the remaining prints could be attributed to any of our suspects, and the ones we did match proved to belong to no one of interest. It may have helped us in later years, when DNA testing became available, to run tests on the little bit of non-victim hairs we had found on the victim's bodies and at the scenes, but these hairs, like most of the little amount of evidence we had compiled in the cases, were lost somehow. In future cases, I was sure to go by the old adage, don't put all your eggs in one basket, to help avoid this type of garbage ever happening again. In addition to our small amount of physical evidence, we had a few local psychiatrists and even the feds create some type of rough psychological sketch of the type of guy we were looking for. 
But like I've said several times before, the science that makes crime solving so much easier today still sat a mere few years beyond us and that even applied to the world-famous FBI Behavioral Science Unit. The last two murders were much more spread out than the prior ones. It seemed to us almost as if though he was losing his love for it. The crimes themselves were even less violent. He was kind enough to allow the girls to keep their hearts and the scenes lacked the bloodlust that they had in the past. Once again, this guy's actions had us shaking our heads. The overwhelming majority of your serial offender's crimes gradually escalate in ferocity and frequency. Despite the seeming de-escalation in the violent aspect of the murders, he was still very vestigious in his organization, whether it was by avoiding leaving prints or making sure to leave the location of the crime clean and blood-free. To avoid standing out in public, he still had no desire to get caught. I was sure there existed a witness somewhere out there, but whether it was from fear or ignorance, they never came forward. I'm still confident of this now, and I can only hope someday that individual will contact someone, anyone, and tell what they know. Then just like before, our man stopped and left us with nothing. If he had known then what we know now, we would have been fairly sure that he was incarcerated for an unrelated crime or moved to another area. This was likely the same reason he had taken the almost year and a half long break before. For over a year, no other murders occurred or witnesses came forward. Like before, we had Jack. That was when I got the phone call. It was your average Saturday afternoon around the house. I had just gotten out of the shower after mowing the lawn and was sitting in a recliner about to open a beer. When the phone rang, I jumped up from my chair and stepped into the kitchen to answer it. The voice on the other end was a middle-aged sounding man and his first words were this. Is this Detective Leonard Duncan speaking? I simply told him yes, although I didn't recognize the voice. I've got something you may want to hear. Again, I answer him simply with, okay. I had no idea what he wanted to say, so I kept my mouth shut in case it was important, and God Almighty it was. Leonard, I've enjoyed hunting all these years, but all this new science I've been reading about, not to mention certain things at home, have made it far less desirable. So, I'm moving on. You guys won't have to worry about me anymore. This is the moment I began to realize who it was speaking to me. I held my breath as long as I could, afraid I would miss one single word he said. It was fun while it lasted, but I'm done. Take care, Leonard. That last line gave me chills. He spoke as if we were old friends saying goodbye forever. That was it. Before I could say anything, he'd hung up and left me alone with the droning of the dial tone. I'd just spoken to a serial killer on the phone. I called into the station to see if they could get a trace on the call, but he'd of course spoken too briefly for us to get one. I wasn't sure if I could trust what he'd said. After all, he was a murderer, but it had been quite some time since we had come across another girl in a hotel room and a large part of me wanted it to be true. The lives of six girls had been taken by this man, and if we couldn't find him, couldn't a promise to take more be good enough? Had I unwillingly made a deal with the devil, and still not sure, and it's over thirty years later. In the end, regardless of whether I agreed or not, he had control of the situation, and he knew it. 
Once or twice over the years, we had a few strong leads, but they all ultimately went nowhere. Since I've retired, I still regularly do searches for any new cases with a similar M.O. to our guy. At this point, he's most likely dead or in a nursing home somewhere, but if anything, it helps me sleep better at night. The result of losing most of our physical evidence long ago has left us with few other options. Unless we get a confession or an eyewitness, these poor girls' murderers will never go solved. However, until I join my wife in heaven, I'm going to do my utmost to nail that monster and give those girls and their families the justice they have waited for for far too long. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm a 27-year-old girl, and even though this story happened almost 20 years ago, I still think back to it every year around this time. I was a nine-year-old girl in grade four, and it was Valentine's Day. We had spent the week decorating our class door for the yearly competition and making a big card for our principal and vice principal and other office staff signed by all of our class as our entry and an invitation to come see our theme decorated door. I don't remember how this part came about, but I was the one to walk downstairs to the office and turn in our card. It was simple enough, and I always looked forward to getting out of the classroom, even for a little while, so I started to the office. Nothing spectacular happened on the way down or in the office. It was just a normal walk through the halls and down the stairs, and then cheerfully turning in our class Valentine's Day card. I started down the same direction I came from, but had chosen to go up a different set of stairs than the ones I had gone down. Now just some layout info for you. The school is a big rectangle with a large auditorium that had granite floors in the center. The second floor was a couple stories up and had an open balcony with a short railing overlooking the auditorium below. The classrooms bordered the lower and upper hallways and all had windows facing outward. It is also a World War I historical building and can't be changed significantly or knocked down. Now back to the story, I was coming up and out of the stairwell and had started to walk towards my classroom, but I heard a whistle, one that sounded like a bird and instinctively I turned around to see what it was. There was a boy sitting on the floor outside of one of the 6th grade classes. Kids were typically sent to sit outside the classroom as a mild punishment or to calm down. When I turned around to look, I met eyes with the boy and he had some kind of smirk on his face. Before I could turn around to start walking, this kid says, Ooga booga. 
Uh, what? Seriously? I just giggled, then turned around to get back to class. A few seconds later, I was being pushed up against the short railing looking over the auditorium far down below. He pushed and pushed, and it was quite a struggle. I won't pretend like it was easy for me as a little girl, but I managed to get a kick right where it matters, if you know what I mean. The boy dropped, and I ran crying back to the classroom. I don't remember much of the events that followed immediately afterward. I really think I was in shock. However, I know exactly how it all turned out. My mom was angry beyond words. I am her only child, and it took her five years to have me, so needless to say, she was livid at the idea of losing me. My mom threatened lawsuits and going to the local news and newspaper. It turns out the kid had many behavioral, mental, and learning disabilities, and his parents had not given him the correct medication or attention that he required. It was a long argument that went on for weeks, but in the end my mom did have sympathy for the boy who was clearly not being given the care he needed. She did not, however, have sympathy for his parents, who she saw as responsible. My mom settled for having the boy removed from the school district and having the school put in taller railings so this might not happen again to someone else. But the story doesn't end here. After this event, my mom was ultra paranoid and signed her little ballerina up for karate. I was not thrilled about this, and my thought was, I defended myself just fine, so why do I need karate? Anyways, when I showed up for the first class, you want to know who I saw in the room? Yep, it was the boy who tried to push me over the railings. I pointed him out to my mom and she was in 100 miles per hour crazy mommy mode all over again. After my mom explained what the boy had done to the owner instructor, the boy's mom was told she could no longer bring him to the class there and they were to leave immediately. His mom got mad at me of all people. Why she misdirected her anger I will never know. Her child could have ended my life or seriously injured me at the very least and it was due to her negligence and her son's behavior. As much as I know it was due to his very unfortunate circumstances, that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't make me feel safe to be in the same room as him and I also don't know why she thought it would be appropriate for a child who was shown he can and will use violence to be taking martial arts. Therapy would have been the more logical route in my opinion. After that, I didn't stay in karate long, as I was always a girly girl more interested in dance and Barbie dolls. All these years later, I still think back to that day. I wonder what became of that boy. I wonder if he got the help he needed. I wonder if he remembers, and sometimes I even ask myself if it was all a dream. But it wasn't a dream. It was something I will always remember, and I learned many lessons that day. The biggest being, always be aware of your surroundings. My friends and I used to urbex a lot. For those who may not know, urbex means urban exploring, which is exploring abandoned places. We did it a lot. Literally any opportunity we had to go, we did. This one weekend was different though. It was on a Friday night and my friend DJ called me excited about this place he found about 45 minutes away. At that time I was with this girl I really liked, Miranda. She'd never been able to go with us but this time she was and was super excited. 
So we packed a couple of backpacks with the essentials, flashlights, face masks, small first aid kits, all that. DJ picked us up around 6pm, along with three other friends, Matt, Jesse, and my good friend Babs. It was a 45 minute drive and on the way there, DJ explained where we were going. Apparently there was a small abandoned neighborhood in the mountains. We followed the instructions that DJ's co-worker sent him. Turn right at the fork in the road, drive straight through until you come up to a patchy spot on the left, park there, and walk until you come to a gate. Step over it and just keep walking until you come up to an arch. That's how you know you're in the neighborhood. Altogether, it was a 40-minute walk, which surprisingly didn't wear us out because we were so excited. We finally find the arch and pass through it, and what we saw was a legit neighborhood. There were old houses everywhere. You couldn't even see where the roads divided. We started going to some of them. One of them had a children's room where clothes were still hanging up, and judging from that, this neighborhood was from the 20s or 30s. Eventually, we lost track of time and it was dark. I mean, the type of darkness that hurt your eyes because they can't adjust to it. At that point, it was almost 11pm and we didn't want to make the 40 minute walk back and drive another 45 minutes back home. We had no choice to... spend the night in one of the houses. We found one though. Babs had a bunch of blankets with her so we decided to sleep on them. I got the biggest one for Miranda and me to sleep on and within a minute we were all fast asleep. I woke up... I'd say at around 3am, to this overwhelming sense of dread. Miranda was awake too, asking me if I felt that too. I asked her how long she'd been up. Like an hour, I got to get water from my backpack and I felt something watching me. Instantly, I felt uneasy. Miranda dug through her bag, got out a lighter and we lit what was left of the fireplace. Come to find out, everyone else was up too. DJ sat up and was like, Yeah, earlier I went up to take a pee and when I turned around, something walked by the doorway. Just as he finished saying that, Jessie comes running in like a bull through a china shop. She stopped to catch her breath. There, there's someone buried here. We all looked at her like she was insane. O okay, fine, follow me then. She takes off out the back door. She was right. Right there in the backyard was someone's decrepit wooden grave marker. Bab starts freaking out. Guys, look at the dirt. Someone wasn't buried here. Someone was dug up here. Needless to say, we got out of there quick. We all ran back to the house and started to pack everything up. Then, that back door just slammed clean off its hinges. There was a point where we all froze and listened. We heard footsteps, shuffling, and the creepiest of all, what sounded like someone taking a brush through long hair. After that, we only grabbed our wallets and keys and ran out. All of our stuff is still there. The blankets, backpacks with flashlights and first aid kits in them. I think Jessie left her camera behind too. And the fact that someone dug up a body in their backyard gives me the creeps to this day. Sometimes I get the urge to find that place again and see if our stuff is still there, but the thought of having to feel that nauseating dread again makes me think twice.
About two years ago, I was working at a large corporate restaurant that I shall not name. There was a guy there, Blake, that I worked with. He wasn't necessarily attractive in the conventional sense. He was tall and super skinny, but had blue eyes and liked to laugh when we talked. I started falling for him. Well, he apparently liked me too. So we made plans to hang out and smoke some, watch some TV, etc. Well, the day came and we didn't actually smoke, as we both thought that the other was going to have it. But we did end up fooling around. It was fun and it was sweet as he was extremely kind and caring to me. But afterwards, he changed. Suddenly he wouldn't talk to me or even look at me. He was just sitting on the floor staring at the TV. When I told him I was leaving for work and that I'd be back later for my stuff, he just shrugged. Later I texted him to ask him if he was okay and this was the response I got. He is fine. Maybe not your idea of okay, but he is. When I asked who it was, I was introduced to Styx, the supposed alternate personality of Blake. I don't remember everything that was said between Styx and I, but the gist of it was that he was the only reason Blake was still alive, as Blake was depressed and Styx was the protective personality. This was right after the movie Split came out, so I figured, okay, maybe he legitimately had something happen to him that caused him to develop a personality. I told him I would come back to get my stuff, and I was told not to come anywhere near the house. I didn't listen. After work, I went right back and knocked on the door. There was a light on in the house somewhere. As I stood there, I texted him to ask him to come open the door so I could check on Blake and get my stuff and leave. The light went out, making it completely dark. I spent two hours trying to get him to let me in. Finally, I warned him. If he didn't let me in, I would break in the door. Suffice to say, I seemed to have no sense of self-preservation. I broke in. Now, looking back, I really should have called the cops to report a possibly mental unstable person holding my stuff hostage. Instead, I entered the house, completely dark, took off my slick sole shoes, my restrictive jacket just in case something did happen. I had pepper spray in one hand and a self-defense punching tool with two spikes on the other. I called out, saying that I was coming in and to please not attack me. My dumb self didn't clear the room as I went. He came out from the bathroom as I passed, grabbing me from behind, forcing my face up by my chin with one hand and pressing something against my throat with the other. I couldn't breathe. I was choking on my tongue from the way he was holding me. I panicked. I lashed out with my defense tools a few times. He shook me like a doll. Stop attacking me, he hissed. I told you to leave. I held my hands up, forcing words past my held jaw. I pleaded with him to let me go, that I'd leave, I just wanted my stuff. Eventually he started moving towards the door, dragging me. He threw me out and shut the door. I was barefoot, in the wet, with no jacket, keys, or phone. I beat on the door, telling him to give me my stuff so I could go home. He actually threw them out through the cracked door. All but my jacket. I returned to my car with a message that he had put my stuff in the trunk of his car and it was open for me. It wasn't all there and I told him that. On the way home, I was shocked that he continued to message me. Except this time, instead of warning me, he was telling me that while he held me up, 
He was thinking of all the ways he could get rid of me and my car. That supposedly, he thought that cooking me up would be the easiest way to get rid of the evidence. I learned more about the human psyche than all my college classes and all the documentaries that could have prepared me for this. Now at this point, I should have gone to the police, but I had just broken into his house and I figured that they would see him as defending himself. I went to work the next morning with a bruise from his hand on my chin and a scratch on my neck. We only talked once after that. I asked him to bring the rest of my stuff to the place we worked. I told my manager about everything and she did sympathize with me. She was worried because working with him gave me severe anxiety. Then, one day I walked into the fridge to grab a pre-made salad and found a nasty wilted brown lettuce and moldy tomatoes. Sometimes we got icky tomatoes in with the good ones, we just threw them out and cleaned the good ones. And every salad was wrapped in plastic wrap. Each one had a message on them. The first one I found was telling me to go end my life. The other said things like, I spit in this salad. And for me to go off and jump in a fire. We found out by handwriting, timing, and cameras that it was Blake. He was promptly fired. As he walked out, he punched a window outside the dining room hard enough to crack it. It was thick glass. The only reason I'm putting this up is because he recently tried to get in contact with me over Facebook. He said he wanted to apologize and I told him in some not so nice words to leave me alone. And that's the story of how I narrowly escaped with my life. I just got back from staying in San Diego. I had a great time with family. This experience was just so surreal to me. I can't shake the image out of my head. I came down to visit my grandparents. They are the closest people I know by the airport. Even then they are still 45 miles away. My flight was for 4am so I left at 2. I knew I wanted to go through security fast and look around. I was about 20 minutes into the trip when I got to Pleasant Grove. I was driving past the post office and looked at the school. Then I stopped, dead in my tracks. There was a man standing in front of the school. I couldn't see his face. He was wearing a horror cliche outfit, a black hoodie, black pants, and tilting his head. I looked at him in horror, frozen. My instincts told me to drive off, but I wanted to ask if he was okay. I picked up my phone, and he was gone. Nope, I whispered and drove off. I was driving, and all of a sudden he ran in front of my car. I swerved to the side. Now I could see his face. I could see his nose and his smile. He tilted his head again. I backed up and drove off. On my flight, I just kept thinking, what was that guy doing? Was he some kid trying to be creepy or an actual creep? So, in the rest of my time on this earth, I hope I never see this freak again. I am a 15-year-old girl who has always been interested in true crime, paranormal activity, and real-life monsters, so when I went to spend a weekend with my aunt and she offered to tell me about their house gremlin, I was interested. 
She explained this creature to be friendly, harmless, and a playful thing. This made sense to me because I had never felt anything harmful in her house. She told me that she would be doing basic things like taking out the garbage and would see a short gremlin-like creature peek from around the corner, and when she would go to look, it would be gone. The gremlin would also take things like when she would set down her keys, walk away and come back, only to find them gone and she knew what happened. After something went missing, she would look and usually not find anything. She told me all she had to do was ask and call out to it. I know you took my stuff and I want it back. And shortly after, it would be in the same spot that it went missing from. At first, it sounded crazy to me and I didn't believe and I think it knew that I doubted it. As the weekend progresses and was coming to the end, I really wanted proof of something being out there. It was Sunday morning and we were sitting at the dining room table. My aunt was sitting on her computer and went to log into her Facebook but couldn't remember the password. This was normal for my aunt as she has a lot of different accounts and passwords for different things. Now my aunt is old school and writes everything down in her Rolodex which is basically a little card box full of little note cards to write down information. My aunt reached over to where it usually sits and couldn't find it. She stood up and started looking for it and, as she was looking, I told her that I wanted to see the gremlin before I left. She looked at me and said, well, This is it, honey. Now please help me look. I got up from my chair and walked away from the table, and as I did this, my aunt looked at where I was sitting and yelled out, Oh, wow. And I asked if she had found it. With a quick glance at where she was standing, I realized that right in front of my seat, the Rolodex was just sitting there. This was proof enough for me as I knew it was not there before. I sat down in complete shock. Ever since that day, I don't doubt that creature anymore, and he has not messed with me or my stuff again. I have just recently discovered this subreddit and do have other paranormal stories unrelated to the gremlin that I will be posting here soon. These stories have more to do with an evil or unpleasant spirit that has followed me. If people enjoyed this, I might think about posting that here as well. This story is the most horrific incident I've ever been in. My name is Katrina. I was 22 when this happened. I used to work in the Eaton Center in Toronto part-time, as did my sister, Tanya. She worked at Hallmark and I worked in a toy store. I went into work like any normal day, helping customers purchase their items, sweeping the floors and just making sure all the toys were placed neatly. By the time I knew it, it was lunchtime. I remember not feeling very hungry that day, so I decided to get some popcorn. After I paid for my popcorn and opened the bag about to indulge, I heard what I can only describe as a bunch of balloons popping. Almost instantly I heard a few people scream and cry. No sooner after that did I hear the sound of people running. I was on the third floor of the mall and in the middle was a glass barrier that allows you to look down to the bottom level of the mall, aka the food court. I threw my head over the glass barrier and looked around and to the far right of where I was, I see a man's body in a pool of blood. It felt like my heart stopped. I backed away from the glass barrier and ran back to my store making my way through people that were running for their lives. I got to my store and told my manager that someone was shot and that we needed to lock up. 
I remember my manager telling me to get everyone out of the store, and I hate to mention this, but my manager made me send away a boy who was no more than eight years old. As I went to escort the boy out of the store, still trembling, I saw two women running almost side by side screaming that he's got a gun. I heard a loud pop and I fell to the ground in terror. My manager threw the security gate down and screamed out, and he hit the ground just as I did. Another loud pop echoed through the store. He told me and my two co-workers to stay down and get to the back room. We crawled to the back room and he locked the door. I took my phone out of my back pocket and dialed my sister's number as I had feared she was working today. My sister answered and I asked if she was working. She told me no. Then it hit me. I was stuck in the mall with some lunatic with a gun that just killed someone. I told my sister about the situation. My sister was over at my house with one of my roommates and my boyfriend. My roommate called the police and relayed what I was saying to my sister. My sister then told me that she was going to get our roommate Matt to come pick them up and take them down to get me. I told them I loved them and told my sister that if I didn't make it out, to tell my parents, brother, and boyfriend that I loved them. After I hung my cell phone up, I started to cry. I was sure that this was the day I was going to die. We waited in the back room for what felt like hours. My hands were clammy. I hardly had a voice from crying, and I remember feeling hot. I'd say about 15 to 20 minutes passed when I heard a sound over the speaker telling everyone else in the mall to evacuate. I picked up my purse and we started to run out the back. No sooner did we reveal ourselves from the back room, a few police officers had their guns pointed at us. When they saw that I was upset and that we were still in our uniforms, they told us to hurry and to get out. As I made my way to the escalator, I looked around to see a grim sight. About 8 to 12 strollers were left by the Queen Street doors with babies still in them. I held my hand up to my mouth in shock and continued to run out the doors. I made it to the top of the escalator and a few news report teams started to shove microphones into my face. I remember screaming at them to get out of my way. As soon as I got outside, I saw my boyfriend and my heart sank. I fell to the ground and started to cry. My boyfriend picked me up and started to hug and kiss me, telling me I was safe. I stuffed my head into his chest and cried. A man asked me for an interview and my boyfriend pushed him away. We went to Tim Hortons and grabbed a cup of water and slugged it back. Not saying much to anyone, Matt drove us all home. The following day I spoke to a private investigator who wanted me to go down to her office to interview about what happened that day. I couldn't do it. I was terrified to leave the house. I'd let her record me and use it if they ever found the person. A few weeks later, a man by the name of Christopher Husbands admitted to the crime. He ended the life of two people, on top of which a pregnant woman was trampled over as people were trying to escape and a 13-year-old boy was shot in the head too. Luckily, he survived. I now have a fear of crowds and have nightmares of seeing this man's body. It still disturbs me to this day. June 2nd, 2012 is a day I could never forget.
When I was 10, my mom's sister and I went to a family function on my mom's side. We came home that night in March, around 10pm or so. My dad was intoxicated. He went to a bar out of town with a couple of co-workers before. My mom told me to go to bed five different times, but being the stubborn kid I was, I didn't listen. Pretty soon, my dad was upset that I wasn't listening and this set him into a terrible ranting mood. He called my mom's sisters every name under the sun, insulted everything about them, all the while my mom begged him to stop. Eventually, I ran to my room and tried to fall asleep. This is where things get hazy, but around 30 minutes later I heard a loud crack and a bang. My dad kicked a hole beneath a window in our wall. I stormed down the hallway into his room and ripped the closet doors off their hinges. I remember listening to him pack a bag while screaming with my mom. He came into my room, turning on the light and demanding confused and scared me to get up and get in the truck. He wanted to take me somewhere. My mom obviously objected and I stayed put while the banter went back and forth even more so. He stormed out of the house, got in the truck at midnight and drove away. My mom called the cops and a police officer I met earlier due to a school function was in the living room 30 minutes later. My dad was apparently at his parents a mile out of town and I stood in the hallway and watched the officer talk with my mom. My mother came down the hall and told me I could stay up and play my DS if I wanted to. I drowned out the sounds of the cop's radio and my mom's sobs with new Super Mario Brothers. I still remember which levels I was playing on. My dad's mom showed up at around 1am and she slept on our couch that night. I crawled into bed with my mom at 2am. Around 5am I woke up to my dad crawling into bed, reeking like booze and cigarettes. This would be the only time I'd heard him cry. He sobbed as he held me, apologizing over and over again. Over the next few months, things got better. My parents are still married to this day and are much happier now. We've never talked about this incident, but it has forever changed me. The worst, yet best part, my sister slept through everything and has no idea what happened. The story took place when I was an 11 year old girl. A bit of backstory. My siblings and I grew up in a small town with a population of maybe 800 people. We lived two houses away from a Catholic church and a graveyard. One day in the year 2000, my parents sent my little sister and I to the store with a note for the family-owned gas station owner named Kayla to be able to sell us packs of smokes for my dad. We arrived to the store in about 10 minutes. We were counting out the bills and changed to see if we had enough money for some surprise candy bags, and we did. My sister and I grabbed two surprise bags and a pack of my dad's favorite cigarettes. We paid for everything and left the store. My sister and I were talking when I turned my head and saw a man. Not a normal looking man. This man looked like he had just walked out of the hospital. He looked to be in his 70s. He had a walker, an oxygen tank, two bags attached to the walker with red and white liquid in it. He had tubes up to his nose and a tube down his mouth and was slowly trying to walk with the help of his walker. With each step he took, I heard him gasp. I turned to my sister while pointing my finger in the direction of the man and said, Look. My little sister turned and she saw the man too. My sister turned to me after examining him and said, That poor guy. 
we both turned back in his direction, and he was gone. There's no way that an old man with all that equipment and that condition that he was in could easily run somewhere to hide. My sister and I were confused. We returned home shaken up and our parents noticed it immediately. My mom asked me what was wrong. I told her the story and my mom believes that he was a ghost. Four days later my sister and I were playing outside in the yard and saw a bunch of cars driving away from the church. We ran to see what was happening. All we saw were people crying and wearing black dresses. Later that day we asked our dad if we could go out for a walk. My dad agreed and off my sister and I went. I told my sister it was more than likely a funeral as we went walking in the graveyard to investigate. To the very far left of the graveyard, we saw a fresh grave that was dug up and then covered again. I ran to see the picture of the tombstone and my heart dropped into my stomach. It was the man that we had seen walking four days earlier. I was stunned. I looked at the date on the stone. He was born in 1941 and he had died five days ago. I grabbed my sister by the hand and we ran back home, and I told her not to say anything to our parents. Life continued on normally from then on, and we never saw the dead man again. About six years ago, me and my sister were asked to join our parents for a family holiday to Greece. My sister and I were, at the time, 19 and 23 years old. We had not been on a family vacation, just us, for about four years, and we kind of missed just doing something together as a family. We always traveled with our parents and other family members when we were younger, so we figured it was about time. We were pretty excited to go to Greece. For me and my sister, it was new. We had never been to Greece, but our parents had been there the year before, but now a new town and a new hotel. Usually my parents always traveled to the same hotels and the same cities. They weren't really that adventurous and preferred just traveling somewhere beautiful and calm to enjoy the beaches and food. Nothing more really, as for my sister and I, we usually preferred doing more than just hanging at the beach all day, but we both figured it would be cozy either way. So this is how our creepy family vacation starts. We had finally arrived at the airport in Greece, traveling from Norway, which was not that long. I think it took around five with plane. We landed early in the morning in Greece. Everything was so beautiful and different from home. We were really excited. Two hours later, my family and I had arrived at the hotel. It really was beautiful. We usually always traveled to nice hotels. Not that my family is rich or anything like that, but they're not poor either and we always preferred safe and secure hotels. So this looked really nice. We had separate hotel rooms from our parents, since we were adults here. Me and my sister shared an okay-sized hotel room next door were my parents. We actually had a door in the hotel leading into their bedroom, but we kept it locked. At first, my little sister was a little bothered by the door since she felt we didn't have enough private space separating our two bedrooms. We didn't think much about it and went to sleep. So we wake up, it's day one of our vacation. I think we were there for about 13 or 14 days, and the first week or so went alright. We didn't really do much, just stayed at our hotel room, went out to the pool or beach which was 4 minutes away, walking distance, and then we ate lunch and went back to the beach, went for a jog or a walk at the beach, 
There were a lot of people there, but not as many as that we were used to from earlier vacations. The weather was really great and it was warm every single day. So every day was pretty much the same, but it didn't really get boring. Me and my family always had a lot to talk about and we rarely fight. Usually my parents fight or have a couple of discussions with each other, but this time it was actually none that I can remember. So a few days later, me and my sister decide to stay down in the hotel lobby, where we just sat on the sofa talking and playing a few games online on our phones. Suddenly my sister pinches my arm, looking me straight in the eyes. There was something off about how she looked at me. I could tell she wasn't joking. She slowly moved her head to the left, letting me know where to look, so... I turned to her direction, yet to turn back, asking her, What? Was I supposed to see something? She nodded. Did you really not see? I just turned around once more, looking a bit confused, asking, Okay, I'm confused. What do you want me to see? She explained with a low voice that a man was standing around 30 meters away, looking our direction, pretending to read something, but she had noticed that he had not one time had flipped the page on the newspaper he was reading, which she definitely found strange. She had met his eyes and stares without him really staring away. I wasn't sure what to think. I definitely knew she wasn't lying, and there was something weird about this guy. But I didn't really know what to say or what to think. It wasn't like he had done something wrong or said something, so, so I just kind of brushed it off, trying to tell her he was probably just weird or had been drinking and it wasn't even that late I actually don't think that he would even have time to have been drinking he just kept staring I told her that we should probably just go up to our hotel room get some sleep before going to the beach tomorrow we got up to our room feeling a little silly and paranoid looking backwards all the time till we got up safe in our hotel room we both grew up learning and hearing all kinds of things about humans strangers and creepers out in the world and kind of had all that stuff imprinted into our minds. We also were really into scaring each other in horror movies. Every time we had a film night or were on a vacation, we traveled with at least one laptop to be able to pick our own scary movies to watch. And tonight was one of those nights. We both wanted to watch a movie and decided to watch Vacancy, which is a pretty scary movie to watch. Usually we went for the old classics, but we decided to watch something newer. We were both a sucker for the old ones. The movie was now over and we were ready to go to sleep. We were both tired and promised our parents to join them at the beach early in the morning. They were always up at around 7am and we usually went down to meet them at the beach at around 11 or noon. So we wake up at 7am and decide to sleep a little longer, setting the clock to around 9am or 10am. We both wake up, change into our bikinis and pack our bags. We took the elevator down to the first floor we were staying in the fifth floor, so it didn't take long to make it down. We were both hungry and went to the small food store the hotel had on the first floor. As we entered the store, we could see the creeper from last night, just standing behind some postcards, just holding one up. My sister looks at me with a big, Oh, not this guy again. We both turn around and walk away, looking behind my back one last time as my eyes meets his, and he smiles. It's a creepy long smile which really felt super weird. I don't know why, but it was like an alarm went off inside of me. My guts were definitely telling me that this guy was up to no good. I grabbed my sister's arm and told her he gave me a creepy smile. She turns around and looks to see if he's following us. We don't see him. 
So we walk outside the hotel, and we're surrounded by other hotels everywhere, and we keep turning our heads, but we felt pretty safe going outside down the road and down to the beach. Pretty much families everywhere you look with kids and cars passing. Surely everyone here can't be crazy, we think to ourselves. We arrive at the beach in time for lunch with our parents. They laugh and let us know that they knew we weren't able to make it at 7am. We didn't really laugh back and I decided to tell my mom about the creepy guy from the other day and just now. She's a really paranoid woman and told us to stay close to them and no longer walk alone. We both agreed and felt much safer that way anyway. We didn't even know if the creeper guy actually was a bad guy or had even followed us, but we just went with our gut feeling. It made me feel really young again, staying close to my parents like a little child, but I figured I'd rather get home safe feeling like a child than perhaps not getting home at all. So the day went on like the other days, nothing really bad happened. We went out for dinner later that night, then went back to the hotel lobby, then to bed. The next day was pretty much the same. We went down the lobby early in the morning. The creepy guy appeared once again, but not with a new guy. He was a bit younger, but I couldn't tell his age. And I now figured that they were Greek or from here, from the way they talked and looked. They looked like they could be from Russia or Poland, the sort of Eastern European descendants. His friend was wearing some really old, weird biker sunnies, which looked rather weird, and they both had really tight shorts on. I figured the creeper was around mid or late 40s and the younger guy was in his late 20s or early 30s. As me and my sister made my parents aware of the creeper, they both turned around and looked and said they looked weird. My dad didn't really say much other than, yeah, they look weird, but I'm sure they're just looking for some fun or something like that. So we walked down to the beach, me and my sister, while our mom was on the toilet and my dad was waiting for her. She never locks the door, so he always has to wait for her. Me and my sister just decided to walk ahead. Suddenly the two guys were right behind us, laughing and whistling at us. We couldn't really hear what they were saying or understand a word. They both just kept on laughing. We started to walk faster and were finally at the beach. We put our towels down and saw our parents walking towards us. The two guys suddenly put both their towels and belongings right beside us. I kid you not, only two or three meters they were away from us. This really gave us the chills, especially since there were a lot of empty spaces to lay down at the beach on this particular day. This whole situation was just getting odd. What did they want? We never talked. We never showed any kind of interest or even smiled back. And they kept coming back or closer to us. It was obvious we weren't interested in anything they wanted. The whole day at the beach was very weird. The entire time they kept looking at us and staring, then holding their phones up. I could swear a couple of times it was like they were trying to take photos, but they didn't do it too obvious so we couldn't really say anything. Finally, we had had enough. My mom and dad gave them a horrible stare back, like, like, don't even look at our daughters kind of look. They stopped laughing and acting like teenagers and got very serious as we walked away, but we didn't care. The day passed and we didn't see them, so we slowly thought to ourselves that perhaps they got the point now and that we weren't interested in anything that they wanted to ask or do. After that, we had a whole day of not running into those creeps. We finally got our holiday spirit back, but we felt more calm. My dad even joked that perhaps they had left the hotel and back to their country. Later that night, after we went out to dinner, my mom felt really sick and had to go lay down and decided to sleep early. 
My dad sat down with my sister and I for a few hours, talking and walking around looking at the hotel and a few other hotels down the street. We decided to buy some groceries for later and make some food in our hotel room. My dad told us that he wanted to go and check on our mom to see if she was feeling any better, and if she wasn't, he was just going to watch the TV in their room anyways. I'm pretty sure there was some football match on and he didn't want to miss. Me and my sister stayed down in the hotel lobby for a few hours. We started talking to some Swedish tourists, just small talk. Suddenly the creeper appeared again. So yet again we were met with intense weird stares. My sister is usually a very outspoken person and probably wouldn't mind asking him what he wanted or why he was always staring at us. I'm more quiet, not afraid or letting some people know how I feel, but I'm just more quiet and a calm person rather than my sister. But we both kept our mouths shut, trying to ignore the guy who always appeared. We figured a vacation was almost over anyways, so what could possibly go wrong? We weren't even alone. He kept hiding behind a newspaper, but we could tell he was looking and staring us down. My sister wanted to go upstairs, but we were both a little hesitant on how we would play this one out. If we were to stand up and leave, would this creepy stalker guy follow us? Would he just sit there and not do anything? Anyways, I thought to myself that we're at a hotel that seems fully booked. That means people everywhere. Almost every corner of my eye, I could see someone. So I said to my sister, Hey, it's getting late. Let's go upstairs and watch a movie or something. She agreed and we walked towards the elevator and entered. The elevator was just standing still, no movement whatsoever. We decided just to walk the stairs. We were on the stairs to the third or fourth floor when I hear the elevator opening. I got this really weird feeling, a feeling of fear I had never experienced and I've experienced a lot of fear in my life, but this was something totally different. I saw the creeper standing still in the elevator. I recognized his clothes, I didn't see his face, just the shape of his head or arm in a shadow. He was wearing a Hawaiian shirt and some oversized shorts. This was the really creepy part. Instead of walking outside where his elevator had stopped, the man just stood there. Me and my sister both froze. Like, do we run? Do we wait and see if he re-enters here? What do we do? He pokes his head out, looking towards the stairs. Before he can even meet my scared look, me and my sister ran upstairs and kept running, not looking behind us. My sister tells me while running that she thought that she saw him running after us. We finally arrive outside our hotel room, opening it and shutting it as fast as we could. Before I entered the room, I made sure just to stop and look if the man was after us. I swear once we arrived at the fifth floor, where we were staying, not once did I see the man or hear anyone, so it would pretty much be impossible for him to see which door was ours. There must have been at least 20 different rooms on the fifth floor. My sister was at this point very scared and not sure what to think about what had just happened. I made sure to tell her he didn't see where he had entered. At this point I was just grateful that we weren't completely alone. My parents were sleeping only a door away. My sister and I stayed up and talked for a while and agreed to not wake our parents up until the next day and let them know what had just happened. We decided to sleep and not think any further into it. This is much easier said than done. Well, it must have been around 3 in the morning when we were woken up to a knock on the door. We both stared at each other, terrorized to what just happened and which door to look at. We were 100% sure that the knock wasn't coming from our mom and dad's door. 
and there was no way my mom or dad would have left without telling us, then knock at our door at 3 in the morning. They would have entered the door from their room to ours, so this is definitely the most scary part of the story so far. Suddenly I hear a second knock. I'm completely shattered and beyond able to move from the bed. Looking directly over at my sister as she sits still and awaits for another knock, I'm not sure if I heard any sounds outside the door, neither did I want to hear any or walk any closer to the door. We both just sat still. I look my sister in the eye, telling her, I'm not opening that door, neither are you. I think we have to wake dad up now. I can't do this anymore. She nods, and as we slowly move towards the door, where my parents were sleeping, I can hear a final knock a little louder than before, and suddenly I could hear my dad's voice. He had gotten out of his bed and opened the front door to his hotel room, where he looked at the creeper who stood outside me in my sister's hotel room. I was completely in shock. I can't even remember what he said or what my mom did or if she was still asleep. I can only remember what they told me and that I could see the man's shadow while talking to my dad in his boxers. I didn't even want to see him or hear why he was knocking at the door in the three in the morning and how he knew where we stayed. I'd never been so frustrated and scared at the same time in my entire life. I remember my dad talking to him, a very short conversation before shutting the door, and presumably the creeper left us and went somewhere, hopefully, far away. My dad told me and my sister that he could easily see that when he opened it, it was in fact that same creeper, and how shocked the man was to see my dad standing in front of him instead of me or my sister. It was like he wasn't expecting that at all, and even had a backup story for why he was following us and knocking at the door. I think my dad said with an angry loud voice, with his terrible Norwegian English, Why are you following my daughters and knocking at the door this time? What could you possibly want? The man was just standing there, taking a few steps back from my dad and staring down at the floor, looking away and never actually looking my dad in the eyes, just answering with his really poor English. I don't know. Uh, maybe wrong door. Just mumbling on and on about the door and knocking, but not a single word he said made any sense. He couldn't even finish his sentences properly. We all went to bed, just exhausted and tired, just ready to go home and let this nightmare be over. We kept the doors in between, open the entire night. The next day we went down in the hotel lobby, talking with the hotel manager about what had happened. My parents were very angry and frustrated that he knew our hotel room. The hotel staff looked really weird at each other and didn't really talk much. They simply apologized and made sure this wouldn't happen again and that they would try to find out who the man was. My mom started rambling on and on about human trafficking and all the stories she's heard, read, and seen on TV. We were all thinking about what a terrible place this was. The staff didn't really seem surprised or scared at all. It was like this was something that happened a lot. The next day, with no encounters with the creeper, we arrived at the hotel finished at the beach for the day, security guards at the hotel was holding the creeper in his arm, throwing him out of the hotel. We couldn't hear what they were saying, we just stood there, watching as he was thrown out and far away from us, thankfully. We went straight up down to the front desk at the reception asking what just happened. They gave us a very simple explanation of what had just occurred. You see, we're really sorry to inform you, but the man never booked in or stayed at our hotel. He was never a guest in a hotel or in any hotels close by. They simply had no idea how he had gotten into the hotel 
and how he was able to come and go as he pleased. The woman at the front desk talked with a calming voice to let us know that it was all taken care of now, and that we should be able to enjoy our final days and have a good vacation. We were all in shock and freaked out. What was this guy's intentions? One thing was we were all certain of was that this man certainly wasn't up to any good, and what could have happened if we were there alone, just two girls? The scary part was, a day after arriving home, I got a strange text on my phone from a foreign unknown number telling me that they missed me and my sister or wondered how we were and that he couldn't get us out of his mind and how he hoped that we could meet up again. He also wrote something like, from the hotel guy or sincerely Mr. Crete, since my family and I had vacationed in Crete, Greece. I was obviously terrified and a little scared out of my mind. I was at my parents' home and I remember reading it, taking a screenshot before running down the stairs to my parents showing them the text. They were all shocked and told me to block the number, and it didn't take long before I got a text from one of my friends letting me know that it was only her that had sent the message to mess with my mind. I was pretty upset, but eventually I laughed at it. Luckily, I've never heard anything from that guy and hopefully he never got my number. After this episode, I must admit, traveling all over isn't really something I must do anymore. I really wanted to travel to new places and experience new cultures and see the world, but there's so many things in this world that want to harm you and scare you. One thing I'm very sure of is that never ever will I travel alone to a foreign country. I'm even scared and a little paranoid taking the train out of town in my own homeland. I've had quite a few paranormal experiences in my life, but this one has to be the most terrifying. Some background information on me. I'm 16 years old as of writing this. I've been diagnosed with severe mental disorders and I tend to be skeptic. Many people don't believe in the paranormal and would probably say that my experiences are due to my mental disorders. I myself have wondered that as well, however, I came to the conclusion that there's no connection. I have been diagnosed with PTSD due to an abusive father, anxiety, and depression. While I do have nightmares, which is common with people who have PTSD, I have never had nightmares that included the paranormal, and I have never hallucinated, at least to my knowledge. This happened almost two years ago. I had a small dog at the time named Holly. She was a border collie, Australian shepherd mix who was mistreated by her old family and had some aggression issues we were working on. My room was pretty small. It was on the second floor with a window and a walk-in closet. I had my bed under the window that was straight across from my bedroom door and my closet. I have never liked that closet and would always get a bad feeling. I could never leave the door open, especially at night. Me and my mom felt like the whole house was haunted due to several reasons. My dog Holly would go insane, barking and growling at the door to the garage and my closet when no one was in there or standing back there. My lights would keep flickering and both me and my mother had bad feelings about the house. I've seen a few things in the living room and both me and my mother have heard things. One night I was lying in bed facing the window. Holly was laying at the end by my feet. I had all the doors closed and lights off. As I was drifting off, I heard Holly start growling. Thinking she was growling at someone outside, I told her to quit and lay down. She didn't and actually started growling louder. 
I turned and started to prop my body up so I could look and see what was outside. I noticed Holly was facing the window, but my door. She was kind of crouched down at the edge of the bed, teeth bared, hair standing up, ears pinned back. Weirded out, I turned all the way over and froze. I saw a dark figure hunched over staring at me and my dog. He was tall and thin, with its horns, red eyes, long talons, and a big grin. It looked terrifying. I had never froze seeing the paranormal. While I made a note about it, I always told myself if I leave it alone, it will leave me alone. I just kept staring at it, not being able to move or make a sound. Holly kept snarling. The thing's smile grew as I think it noticed I couldn't move. I started moving closer and closer. I laid there terrified as it raised its talons up like it was going to slash me. At that moment, Holly jumped off my bed to attack the thing. I heard her teeth snap close as the thing disappeared. She landed on the floor right by my bed. I could finally move, but Holly kept growling at the door. Holly didn't stop growling till an hour or two after the event. Holly sadly passed away due to being hit by a car a few months ago. She was stubborn and aggressive, but still a good dog who was brave enough to defend me from this thing, and I will always miss her. I haven't had sleep paralysis since or before this event, and hope it never happens again. I still feel the creature around me, especially in the dark. Ever since this event, any time around a dog, I feel the presence move away from me. I now have a service dog due to my PTSD. His name's Chance, and he's a giant German Shepherd mix who stands over two feet at the shoulders. Since having Chance with me everywhere, the thing keeps away from me. I want to get rid of this thing. Maybe one day I will, but till then, I hope to never have that close of an encounter again. Stay safe out there. You never know if there's something out there that you can't see. Funny thing is, I've always had a knack for attending haunted old schools ever since middle school. So I joined the paranormal club at my school and today was our first investigation. Our school is pretty old, like not as old as east coast schools but still a good century old. The building we were investigating was a recently renovated one replacing a very old building that, like all other stories, had people die in. It's a simple lecture hall, but it's pretty infamous for janitors and others workers demanding to relocate because of creepy stuff like a mop dancing by itself or seeing a dark figure at the end of the hall and whatnot. You see, they did this investigation here along with Scrabble pieces, Ouija boards, and other seances and got a response spelling Black Dog, which is an omen of death. Supposedly, if you see a black dog apparition and gaze into its red eyes, you or a person you love will die within a week. Well, obviously no one died. One person did dream of a black dog and saw the reflection, but not directly of its amber eyes, which the next day he got a call saying his baby brother has almost died when two bees stung right under his eye. But this was last year. Besides this, they didn't have much activity on the EMF or EPV going on other than asking yes or no questions, which... They answered as all yeses. This hyped me up a little bit for my first investigation and after the initial tour of the building at 1am, 
We camped out until around 3.30 a.m. for the witching hour, but activities started much before in intense waves. The earlier group who went in around 7 p.m. reported they got growled at during an EVP session. The group right after at around midnight reported the first big sighting of the day, which was a blood-curdling scream heard by both teams on the second and third floor. Our leader mentioned that on the second floor window, he detected intense waves of EMF around 1.90 of, I forgot the units, which is high as even 0.1 is considered intense and had red beeping all over the place, and suddenly saw a clear head of a woman peering through but it was pretty high up. My time slot was 1 to 3 a.m. so hearing all these made me excited as things are actually happening. So we go to one of the most haunted locations which is right next to the third floor lobby where they laid out the scrabble pieces. There was a long waiting of getting the EMF to detect anything when all of a sudden a large spike occurred and being an amateur my questions that I asked the spirit was jumbled and incoherent sadly but I don't believe I angered them. The spirits we saw explained by our leader were most likely ill-hearted as they were most likely old spirits from the 10s or 20s who were extremely racist and homophobic so anyone who wasn't a straight white person would get growled at or have the EMF go crazy on when holding. However, it does not have enough power to curse or follow us as we disinvited them from doing so. The craziest thing is that the group on the other side of the third floor had a spike but asked them if they'd rather talk to people, us on the other side, and as soon as they said no, their EMF went back to zero while it was us who got the spike. A physical sighting occurred three times, including the head of the woman peering through the window. We had another report that when reaching the first floor again, in one of the seats, a girl with fading hair just sat there cross-legged who wasn't part of the group, but when looking back, no one was there. Another reported the same looking girl in the third floor sitting at a dark conference room all by herself until she vanished again. The biggest sighting was someone who saw the whole figure standing and walking away, unable to follow. The scream resulted right after. One more thing I'd like to say is that they heard footsteps on top while on the third floor but there were no more floors, just a roof and supposedly one person saw the elevator sign say 4 while 3 was the highest it could possibly physically go, not some hidden access floor. Thankfully, I was able to return safely and signs of no spirits lingering, and I'm glad to have had this experience. While sadly I wasn't able to witness any physical sightings or the scream, I was able to note the EMF spike and attempt to converse with them. Very exciting think one of their main locations throughout the semester is at New Orleans, but I'm probably too scared for that one. Apparently, I'm a magnet. It's something I've heard all my life. It's my whole family, really, down from my mother's side. A gaggle of witches, wiccans, spiritualists, pagans, and notably medicine men of two different tribes. So as my Sama would say, my sensitivity is really high. I suppose my first brush with the supernatural happened when I was five years old. 
And bear in mind, I'm 30 now, and this first story is largely anecdotal or hazy at best, while I was waiting for the school bus. A couple salient details, the way my childhood home was set up, the road was actually behind the house, and our front and only door led to the backyard. We, two older sisters and I, were at the end of the driveway, 20 yards from the back corner, and a dozen or so feet from a stand of trees to our left and the dense forest across the street. My mom was inside watching us. Five, six, and seven, we were old enough to wait for the bus alone, or so we insisted. But this day was different. Mom was uneasy right from the start, and that was justified, because as she watched us out the window, something caught her eye. It was a face in the reflection on the glass. Her beloved, departed grandpa mouthing words to her. At first she didn't understand, so he asked him what he was trying to tell her. He frowned, shook his head, and then she heard his words as though he were right beside her. Get them inside now. And no sooner than she did, but a man in a black jacket burst out of the woods, something clutched in his hands. I never did find out what it was, my mom wouldn't let me see, but that was both right around the time my golden retriever disappeared and a heavily drugged and deranged man was arrested a couple of miles away for waving around a bloody knife. So I've got some suspicions. Now you might be thinking, but this happened to your mom, not you. And you're mostly right. Here's what I didn't tell you. Before mom had even worked out what the face in the window was trying to tell her, I was already tugging on my sister's sleeves. I didn't recognize the old man in the buckskin jacket, who stood across the street with his arms spread wide, facing the forest. Of course, I know who he is now. Grandpa never went anywhere without that old leather coat. And that's not the only time something like that happened to me, or my mom, but we'll save that. I suppose I should have mentioned the girl. She's been with me since I was just a little one, pretty much as far back as I can remember. I'd never gotten a good look at her, but... She has long, dark hair and an old-fashioned white dress. She doesn't move or speak, but just stands on the edges of sight, just there in the corner of my eye. If I try to look, she's gone. I don't always see her, and it used to scare me when I did. Not anymore. When I was younger, I took a trip out to a reservation to meet an old friend of the family. Sama insisted. It was her half-uncle, my great-great-uncle and a respected medicine man in the tribe. Incidental side note, I'm way more European than Cherokee and that quarter, half, one-sixteenth blood thing is nonsense, so I still don't get why he agreed to see me in any official capacity. Family, perhaps. I don't actually remember much of what happened that day, except I had pancakes at a local diner before we left and that man had the most knowing, piercing eyes I had ever seen. He talked a lot, but I understood very little of it. Mostly he talked to Sama, but at the very end he lowered himself to the floor and looked me in the eye. He called me a little coyote and told me the girl wasn't dangerous, that she was meant to be a guide. He gave me a little bag with some herbs and a rock and warned me away from places spirits gather. That's something else I've grown up hearing. If I go where the veil is thin, I risk tearing a hole and unleashing something I cannot put back. Told you. A bit superstitious, but I haven't put that to the test just yet. I'll actually stop here for now. 
There are plenty of other stories. The seance that left a ghost in a painting. The Flying Dutchman sighting. More uneasy feelings and near misses than I can count. And the dreams too. But I'll save those for another time. A few months ago, I responded to an Instagram ad for a girl that was new in town and needed someone to watch her dog while she went on a trip. I didn't know her well, just that she was extremely spiritual and maintained an Akashic Record practitioner business, though still not quite sure what that certification or business title means, but we've since become friends. It was a great dog-sitting gig. The dog was so intelligent and sweet, and her house, though small, and a little out of the way in the countryside, was cozy and relaxing, complete with all of her spiritual supplies, crystals, sage sticks, candles, etc. The backyard had a hammock and string lights and crickets chirping in the evening. It was beautiful. The whole gig was supposed to be a nice getaway for me, but I was wary because I knew the chick dabbled in a lot of spiritual things, and in the back of my mind, I worried what type of energy she might be letting into her space and there was definitely something spooky about her. When we met at the house to discuss details, she looked overhead suddenly and sighed deeply. I looked up and saw an open-winged hawk gliding closely to us through the pine tree landscape. It was a majestic sight. As we stood there silently, it felt as if we were meant to be there. Not in a romantic sense, but an eerie one. It was as if time stood still. The energy of her house seemed to come alive at night, each time nightfall came, feelings of unease crept up on me. I pushed these feelings out of my head and attributed the spooky feeling to the fact that there was no TV in the house, so maybe it was just very quiet and I wasn't used to it. I had to be there alone for a week and had a responsibility to be there for this dog. No room to get scared. Towards the end of my stay, I was sitting on the couch one evening and felt something touch my right arm. Just a soft poke the space between my shoulder and elbow. I looked at my arm, looked behind me, and glanced all around the room looking for some logical explanation. I told myself it was a draft from the fan. It wasn't, but again, I didn't want to be scared. I finished my beer and went to bed. In the following weeks, I told the story to my friends and a few of my sisters, but never mentioned it to the lady I was sitting for. I'm not sure why, I guess I didn't want her to be offended. However, she ended up moving out of that house and back to her home state of Vermont, so I finally decided to reach out and pry a little bit. I asked her if she ever felt anything spooky in the house, and that's it. Keep in mind, I told her nothing of what I had experienced. Here was her response. Yes, uh, especially at night. It would start to feel very eerie, and sometimes I would feel a hand on my right shoulder. It used to scare me so bad that I would run to bed and hide under the covers, but then I started to look at it as a hand guiding me through the darkness. Then I told her about my experience about feeling something touch my right arm. She said, Yes, I'm quite certain it was the same. With a joyful little giggle. This happened a few years ago. I still remember it pretty clearly because it's so strange and I never really found an answer to what it was. 
I'm not an active user on Reddit either, and at this point I figured I would just share my experience and see if anyone had similar stories or an explanation. Maybe just share your thoughts. Like I said, this happened a couple of years ago. It was during a visit to my grandmother in a small village in Mexico. To give some context, my parents and I visited for about a week and during that week my mother's cousin also passed. He was in a car crash and the local government was deeply involved. Months later, it turns out he was actually targeted by the local cartel there. That really is a whole story in itself, but I decided to mention it because it did happen that same week we were visiting. As you can probably tell, overall that whole week was tragic and also extremely odd. Some background. It happened about a night before we got news about the passing. My uncle lives on the same plot of land my grandmother does and he owns a farm of chickens and roosters. My grandma's sister, the mother of the guy who passed, is technically their next door neighbor. They own the plot of land right next to my grandmother's. My grandmother's plot of land is actually adjacent to the local elementary school there, so her house isn't in the middle of nowhere, however she does have a good sized plot of land that is surrounded by concrete walls for protection. The streets around her land only really gets foot traffic when school is in session. Given the climate at the time, any kind of foot traffic stops by sunset. The village itself is pretty poor and everyone is familiar with each other there. They have a few rich but no middle class. Most houses are about equivalent to shacks. My grandmother owns a concrete house that is decently sized but otherwise plain. Now that there's some background, I'll get to the event. It was during the summer when my parents and I visited. I was on summer break and so were the schools there. My parents and I were the only people there visiting my grandmother at the time. Every night, time is taken to be sure all the doors are completely locked before heading to bed. There's three doors that lead to the outside. All are made of metal with also a mesh frame door to keep the bugs out. That night I distinctly remember asking my mom to help me lock the front door. It's a heavy metal door with a secured lock that I was having difficulties closing. We also checked to make sure that the other doors were secured and locked. I'm going to mention the layout of my grandmother's house briefly since it is somewhat important. The first room you enter, which is the door I was having a hard time closing, is basically a room with a bunch of beds. To the right is what is referred to as a middle room, which is just another bedroom. It connects to the first room to my grandmother's room. You can look into the middle room and also see the first room when both doors are left open. These two doors are usually left open because they are heavy and scrape against the concrete floor very loudly. Before heading to bed, I plug my phone into the middle room to charge, which is where my dad was going to sleep in. My mom and I were sleeping in the same room with my grandmother. My mom and I shared a bed that was right next to the door that leads into the middle room. Right before falling asleep, I could see into the first room because the two doors were left open like always. I had no recollection of any nightmares or dreams. I basically slept in pitch black until I woke up at an unknown time completely terrified. My eyes basically shot open and I had an indescribable sense of fear. The first thing I noticed was that the door next to me was completely shut. I didn't want to move even in the slightest. I didn't really know what to think. I felt too scared to even close my eyes. I just laid there completely still for an unknown amount of time. I came to the conclusion I would rather wait for the sun to come up than close my eyes again. I was that scared. Eventually, I heard the chickens starting to make noise, so I figured the sun was to come up in the next few hours or so. However, I noticed the chickens were actually going crazy. 
almost as if though they were scared of something. This deepened my fear, but I still laid there, too scared to move. At this point, I was wondering why it hadn't woken up my mother or my grandmother, who were both extremely light sleepers. I was the heavy sleeper in the family, yet the chickens weren't waking either of them up. Eventually, they all settled down, and there was no sign of any sunlight. I occupied my time just listening to the air conditioner in the middle room. It's pretty old, the kind that you have to use a hose to water down. It makes a continuous noise and then occasionally sputters, but its noises are almost a routine. I could also hear the bed in the middle room creaking around, which I figured my dad was just moving around in his bed. Again, I couldn't see anyone in the middle room, which I found odd that the door was closed. I am a heavy sleeper, so I figured there was a possibility that I remained asleep while the doors were closed. I remained still for who knows how long, but then I heard a noise that I'd never heard before. It was extremely loud and it came from the middle room. The volume was just as loud as a large bird, but didn't sound anything like a bird. I was petrified and had no idea why it didn't wake anyone up. Again, I can't really describe the noise. It's nothing like I've ever heard before. I still laid completely still, long enough to listen to the noise over and over. I wanted to think it was the air conditioner until that noise happened the same time. I wanted to think it was the creaking in the bed, but eventually that same noise also happened at the same time the bed was creaking, so it couldn't have been either. I also want to mention that I didn't find it odd until later exactly how much the bed was creaking, and at this point I just felt like I was crazy. I still laid completely still, just stuck listening to this noise. Eventually a second noise started to emerge. It sounded about the same as the first noise, however it was indistinguishable like when two people speak. It was as if though they were conversing back and forth. I started to move my arm against my mom while whispering, Mom, over and over to try to wake her up. Like I said before, she's an extremely light sleeper, but it looked like she was in a deep sleep. It got to the point I was basically shaking her and moving her around, until finally her eyes shot open and in that moment she actually heard the last noise that came from the middle room. She looked petrified and the first thing she actually said to me was, that noise isn't from this world. After that, the noises completely stopped. My mom got up and tried to open the door leading into the middle room as slowly as possible, but it still made a lot of noise. The door opening woke up my grandmother. When we got into the middle room, there was nothing in there, and my dad was still completely asleep. I checked the time on my phone, and it was around 3 a.m. Apparently, both doors in the middle room were shut completely. When we started checking around the house, we noticed that all the doors were left open. My grandmother said she opened them during the night, which explains it. Extremely odd she would do something like that, to say the least, but she is pretty old and can be unreasonable. We looked around and checked out the outside, but aside from the doors, nothing was out of place. All we could really do was close them again and go back to bed. The next morning I woke up to my mom talking about the event to my uncle and some other family friends who came over to have breakfast. She concluded on her own that it was brujera or witchcraft. I don't really know what it was. I only ever bring it up when a close friend talks about aliens or any odd occurrences. There have been a few more unexplained events that I may or may not post about. This one however was the last odd thing to happen to me and otherwise my life has been normal since.
I posted a story for you guys last night about the strange orange and green glowing lights in my room I saw a few months ago, but I have another unexplained experience for you guys I just remembered. About two months ago, I was up late talking to a friend through Discord. I mentioned how I had to use the restroom and that I'll be right back. I took my headset off and made my way to the upstairs bathroom. I went in, closed the door, and did my business. It was around 1am when all of this happened. As I was finishing up, I heard what sounded like a 70-year-old woman in the living room, disgruntled, like she was angrily in pain, but it was almost inhuman. It was like you stubbed your pinky toe on something and let out the most angry scream you could make. Keep in mind that the only people who live in this house are my parents, my sister, and I, all of which who were asleep at the time. We have pets, but none of them are capable of making the sound. This truly sent chills down my spine, so my first thought was someone had broken into the house and was hiding somewhere upstairs and gave away their position by hurting themselves on accident. I took my phone out and called my father. My parents' room is right next to the bathroom so I could hear his phone ringing. He answered and I whispered to him that I think someone was in the house. He got up and we checked every nook and cranny of the house, while the doors and windows were locked and shut. No one appeared to have came in or out of the house. None of the pets woke up from their sleep either until we started shining flashlights everywhere. Even my dog Maxwell was sound asleep until we noticed we were up. This part is where it gets me the most. When I heard the scream, I texted my friends who were still in the Discord channel, asking them if my mic had picked up the sound. They all said yes, and they all said it sounded like an old woman screaming. The room is in the basement and the scream was located in the living room upstairs. That's how loud it was. To this day, I'm still not sure what it was but that was truly one of the handful of times I have been startled from the things that have happened in this house. I should mention that I am not religious or spiritual. I am all manners agnostic. I have some beliefs, but at the same time I acknowledge my intellect isn't enough to even begin to comprehend the intricacies of existence. This is why most of the stories here haven't happened to me, but around me. I'll try my best to tell the stories as they were told to me. With that out of the way, here it goes. I used to live with my grandparents, mom, uncle, and twin sister. The house itself isn't particularly old. My grandparents built it almost 30 years ago and it was one of the first houses in the area. Over the years, many things have happened in the house that could be classified as paranormal, but nothing particularly bad just a bit eerie. So, might be tied to the old furniture, passed on for generations, others tied to the people living in the house, and some are just random. There's a pretty big cemetery close by. I could see the limits of it from my room, and friends think it adds a level of creepy to everything. The first story is one I can't remember happening. My sister and I were a day shy of six months old when our grandfather passed away in a plane accident coming home to meet us. My mother was changing our diapers when both my sister and I started giggling and then laughing, looking over my mom's shoulder. She thought it was weird because there was no one in the room with her and we were practically staring at a blank space in the wall, but didn't think much of it. A couple of hours later, she got the call from my dad telling her about the accident. My dad didn't tell her our grandfather was dead because he didn't know yet, but my mom somehow felt he was. 
She has always been sure that us laughing that day was us laughing at our grandfather, who had followed through with his plan of meeting us, just in a different way. He was later buried in the cemetery close to our house, under a pine tree. Skipping forward many years, my grandparents built a second house next to the original one. The houses are divided by a strip of garden and to go from one to the other you have to walk down a flight of stairs. My room in the big house has a big window and from there I can see the stairs. This one night I heard my mom crossing the garden towards the stairs to go to the small house. She called my name and I answered from my room. I then heard her walk back to the big house. She came into my room and talked to me for a while, I don't remember what about, and then asked if I could walk her to her room, in the small house. I asked her why and she told me that when she called my name from outside, it was because she had seen someone walking down the stairs and thought it was me. I walked her to her room and then back to mine and didn't see anyone. Everyone else had already gone to bed a while ago. That was the first time I escorted my mom to her room and the first time anyone saw Gonzalo. I say the first time because whoever it was, he showed up more than once. My sister was the next person to see Gonzalo. She was on the family computer in the living room when she saw a passing shadow from the window. She turned to see if it was our mom or uncle but saw someone different. He was a he and he was skinnier and taller than our uncle and he was walking down the same stairs. She told my mom and me that night and my mom mentioned the time she saw someone on the stairs and had me walk her to her room. My sister suggested it was the spirit of my grandfather's younger brother, Gonzalo, who had ended his life when he was 18, and that's how he got the name. On my part, Gonzalo became a way to bring down the mood whenever anyone talked about hearing things around the house. If you were hanging out together and they suddenly sat up and asked, did you hear that, or did you see that, I would chuckle and say, it's just Gonzalo, don't worry. I would usually not hear or see whatever they heard or saw, and the few times I did I assumed it was wood creaking, someone else in the house going about their day or a trick of the light. They usually responded by just getting back to the conversation or the TV computer and staying quiet for a bit, and that would be the end of it. Things stayed like that for some years. Every once in a while someone would mention seeing Gonzalo walk up or down the stairs and I would just laugh it off thinking they had probably seen me as I am quiet when I walk and usually had headphones in so I couldn't listen when someone was calling my name. The last time I heard a concrete story about Gonzalo was from my mother. She was in her room on her computer when someone knocked on her door. She thought it was my uncle so she said something like what or come in and the door opened. Some dude peeked in and asked, Have you seen? And then said my uncle's name. She said something along the lines of, No, he's not home. Did he tell you he was going to be here? And the dude just apologized and closed the door. Afterwards, when my uncle got home, my mom scolded him about it. She thought he had given a key of the house to a friend who had rudely come in unannounced. My uncle hadn't given a key to anyone, and no one else in the house had let someone in that night. It was assumed by everyone it had been Gonzalo. I think the first time I said anything about stuff going on in my house to friends we were all around 13 years old. It started because whenever my friends would come over they would comment on how my house would be the perfect house for ghosts. Something about the look, the smell, even the area itself they said. 
I took advantage of this and my house, creepy happenings and proximity to a cemetery became a great bedtime story that I would tell my friends to mess with them. I didn't believe any of it so I had no problem going to bed after recalling everything. But with my friends it was different. The stories matched too close with what they felt so whenever they came over they would always be alert. My skepticism remained for the next years. I became the official escort for both my mom and sister. I stopped asking why at some point. I would just walk them places around the house because I knew it would make them feel better. I would even joke around with my mom saying things like, Okay, so what if there is something or someone? You're bringing me so it happens to me first? Your kid? What am I to do? Shoo them away? I didn't believe there was anything going on, so it didn't really bother me. But there was a shift some years ago. My sister and I were about 17 last year at school. I remember that because that's the year I threw away my old baseball bat, which will come into play in a bit. It was late at night on a weekend and my grandparents were asleep and my mom had gone out. My uncle was in his room in the small house. I was in my room and my sister was in hers. Something about that night was just weird. I know this is the stereotypical description seen in paranormal shows on TV and so on, but I really have no better way to describe it. Something felt off. It was windier than usual. Windy enough that we could hear it, and this part kills me to write, but the air felt heavy. Something in my chest felt weird, almost like when you fall and there's this feeling of not being able to breathe before you can cry or grunt or react in any other way. Minutes later, my sister came into my room. She was nervous and said she heard someone call her from outside her room. She said it was a weird voice, kind of muffled but that she had heard her name clearly and it was definitely not the wind. On any other night, I would have just mocked my sister, chalk it up to Gonzalo and just get back to whatever I was doing, but that night was different. I didn't think it was something paranormal. I thought someone had broken in and was walking around figuring out how to get in the house. I wasn't sure how they knew my sister's name, but that story made sense to me more than something paranormal. So I grabbed my baseball bat and wrapped a knife on the bat with duct tape. I know extreme, but teenage me was fueled by action movies and would jump at any chance of being a hero. I told my sister to stay in my room and went around the house with my improvised weapon. I didn't see anyone or anything, so I went in and met my sister in my room. We were both creeped out by the whole thing. She said she felt weird. I told her I did too. The feeling kept rising, so we decided to go to my uncle's room and see if we felt better with him. Maybe it was just the big house, concentrated air or something. I grabbed my bat and we crossed houses through Gonzalo's stairs. We got to my uncle's room and told him what happened. He said he felt weird too, and we all stayed there together. My uncle played his music and we just tried to get our minds off the situation, which we eventually achieved a while later. With all my logic and skepticism, I can't find a reason for why I felt that way that night. I just know I'm glad I haven't felt it again and nothing bad happened. It's just the one time I was actually spooked. Since then, whenever my mom or sister asked me to walk them somewhere, I would do so not to comply with them but because I knew how it felt to be spooked. My walk back to my room was just a bit scary and the shadows I saw around the house made my logic go into hyperdrive. I miss the house, but I definitely don't miss Gonzalo or any of the other weird happenings that would go down.
So about a month ago, I was on my way to drop off my cousin. She tells me that there's this haunted house near her area. I knew about this house because she always talked about it. She told me that the friend can see spirits and took her to the house. As they went inside, he pointed out a ghost that was wandering the house. She said she saw a black figure in one of the corners. I was pretty skeptical about this and decided to go to the house. I drove by the house and was like, I'm not going inside. I literally drove by the house with my cousin and took off. This was around 1.30am. The next night I'm in my room watching Netflix and I start hearing scratches and knocks in my walls. I didn't think it was anything serious so I ignored it. The scratches and knocks would continue to occur for about a week from 1am to 3am. A week later I came back from my house at 1am. As soon as I enter my room, I hear a ton of scratches and knocks. At this point, I got a little scared. That same night, I went to the bathroom, but when I returned, my blanket was on the floor. I considered that to not be very normal, so I ran to my parents' room to tell them, and they said to listen to some prayers and go to sleep. The next day, everyone went to my sister's house to watch the NFL playoffs. I come back from work, and my room is completely trashed. My fan was on the ground, everything on my bed was on the other side of my room, my clothes were scattered everywhere and I had papers everywhere. I was pretty much at a loss for words. From here on out I slept in my parents room cause something was definitely in my room. What's weird is it was only my brothers and me. Everyone in my family kept saying it's probably because I'm the least spiritual person, whatever that means. So from there I started to do my prayers. Anytime I went to the washroom, I would go on Instagram, but every time I did, my lights would turn on and off and then I would hear a loud bang on one side of the wall. Seconds later, I would hear another loud bang on the other side of the wall. It's not humanly possible for a person to go to one side of the room to bang and then go to the other side of the room. I knew it wasn't my mom because she was downstairs making food and no one else was in the house at the time. After that... Anytime I even thought about doing anything in the bathroom, I would get bangs and lights turning off. One time I was in the shower and I would hear loud footsteps coming close. I made sure to lock my door, but my door would open and close multiple times. I legit could not see anyone opening and closing the door. Finally, the door would shut and I would hear a loud bang right next to me. So a week or two goes by and I start doing my prayers. I would hear some scratches and knocks, but... It wasn't as frequent. I even had to go to Booster Juice to use their private bathrooms to even get any privacy. I obviously couldn't do it in my house, so desperate times came for desperate measures. And everything starts looking good. For a week I didn't get anything. A week goes by, and one night while I was sleeping, I turned my head, and there was a doll directly in my face. I freak out. A couple of days goes by and I'm in the shower again, and this time I hear the same scratches and knocks, but this time I hear knocks coming from my mirror. There was also a day where I was in my room. I wasn't sure when it happened, but there were three big scratches on one of my posters. It was a poster that had a bunch of old school rappers like Tupac, Biggie, Dr. Dre, Eminem, Rakim, etc. Ten minutes later, I heard the loudest scratch. This scratch sounded like someone scratching a blackboard, but louder. And after that scratch, I hear two loud bangs. I'm starting to be worried that 
this might be a poltergeist related to that house that we stopped by, because it seems as if the poltergeists are only there to mess with you. It's been tough having this thing in my house and taking trips to Booster Juice after I go to the gym, but what else can I do? This is my third post here, and this one is by far the most disturbing. Some of you may have seen my post about the picture of my deceased father moving from my closet to the top of my bookshelf, and this might have something to do with it. I'm looking for advice or insight or anything that might help. My family and I moved to Spring, Texas around late July, early August. I remember the day we got here. I had the worst vibe from this house, but... It was the only one that was a perfect size and in our price range. Side note, the people who live in my house are as follows. My mother, 54, my younger brother, 14, myself, 16, my oldest sister, 29, my little niece, 3, and my little nephew, 5. We also have 4 cats and a dog. The night we finally got bed set up in all the rooms, I was exhausted. I guess moving couches and dressers does that to you. But as soon as I had lined down on my bed... I was overcome with the worst chest pain I had ever felt. It was my lower ribs area and it felt like something was inside my ribs and pulling them inward. I couldn't breathe. I was vomiting, sweating, trembling. and This was around 2am. I felt awful for doing so but I woke my mom and explained in a brief, breathless, frantic manner what happened so she took me to the hospital. I've always been known for having good health. I get checkups regularly, I keep good hygiene, I don't have allergies. When we arrived at the hospital, they did everything from blood work to CAT scans, x-rays, pee in a cup, etc. They found nothing wrong. I tried to tell them this wasn't normal and my mother also explained that I've always had generally good health. The only thing I ever suffered from was bad acid reflux, but I take over-the-counter meds for it. The hospital said it was probably just acid reflux or maybe anxiety from moving, but... I know what heartburn feels like and having an anxiety attack, so that wasn't it. I've been diagnosed with PTSD, general anxiety disorder, BPD, major depression, and whatnot due to past traumas. I know what my anxiety feels like and it's never been something like that. The hospital just gave me a painkiller and then sent me home. I was terrified because I've never felt something like that before. A few weeks later, we're all finally settled in for the most part. The kitchen is always pretty lively, my mom cooking and listening to music, being a dorky mom, etc. My sister playing in the living room with her kids. Despite having a rocky past, my family has always stayed very positive and warm and welcoming. I use rain sounds to help me fall asleep because of my PTSD. It's always done the trick and the white noise in a way makes my nightmares stop. It's worked for over three years. Lately though... The nightmares started again and have gotten so much worse and way more vivid than the ones I used to have. I get the nightmares once a week nowadays. When I don't have nightmares, sometimes I wake up to the sounds of my niece and or nephew screaming bloody murder. It breaks my heart because they don't have a father figure so I always run to my sister's room and help her calm them down. Each time one of them will be sobbing on my shoulder, talking about a man watching them and how they want to keep the closet light on because that's where he hides. Other times, I wake up to tapping or the sounds of things being moved around in my pantry. The opposite side of my closet wall is the pantry. 
It's always at odd hours of the night and I would know if someone was awake. I even asked my family if they were up and moving around at whatever time and in the pantry and each time they say no. The tapping usually sounds like it's coming from a part of my wall next to my window from inside or from the outside of the window and it's always in intervals of three. A few times now I've woken up to the feeling of someone or something hitting and shoving me. The first time I was half asleep and laying on my side and jolted awake to the feeling of a cold hand being shoved into my lower back. Each time it will be a cold hand hitting my shoulder, my back, etc., I usually find things misplaced, mainly sentimental objects like jewelry, pictures, old school yearbooks, etc. This is really out of order, I know, but this is just covering the basics. I truly appreciate any help, advice, or tips. It's only gotten worse these past few days. About a year and a half ago, a good friend of mine moved back home from out of state. He had made it to a large casino that's just outside of town, but he didn't have a ride the rest of the way and it was late, so my mom and I went to get him. We decided to take the long way there. It was an unusually clear night and being in town, we don't get many opportunities to see the stars. We were driving along with the windows down listening to music. The section of the road we were on had a hill about every half mile or so. As the road plateaued, we could see something in the air ahead of us. At first we thought it was a helicopter because it was hovering. As we got closer, I turned the music off and realized that whatever it was, it wasn't making any noise at all. My mom slowed to a crawl and stopped when we were directly beneath it. With only about ten feet above us, still no sound. Of course we were curious, so she stuck her head out the window to look up at it while I leaned over the dashboard and looked through the windshield. It looked vaguely helicopter or teardrop shape, with one end being much thicker than the other, but it didn't taper as narrowly as a helicopter, and instead of the blades on top of the aircraft, it had wings like a plane, but they seemed too short to actually be functional. We saw a flash in the rearview mirror and looked back to see a car cresting a hill about a mile behind us, and when we looked up, the craft was gone. We continued on our way and picked up my friend, talking his ear off about it all the way home. You can bet we took the same way home, hoping to get a second look and validation from a third party, but to no avail. The next morning, I got up and went to the bathroom and caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. I'm not even kidding. The side of my face that I had turned up to look at the craft was sunburnt. I ran to my mom's rooms to see her face and sure enough, she was sunburnt too. We had spent the entire day indoors so there was no possibility of it being from just being out in the sun. I wish we could have gotten a second look at it and I wonder if the car behind us had seen anything as well. So I have a pretty weirdly set up house. To the right of our house we have no neighbors in a very big open empty field that stops at a busy road and across the road is a park. My mom and I live there and our house is pretty small but just the right size for us. The kitchen door is less of a door and more of an opening, 
living room and dining room connected, super creepy unfinished basement with an unlocked attic door above the stairs. My room has always felt safe. My mom's room, however, always feels cold and uninviting. When I stay home, only when I'm there alone, weird things happen. Although my best friend has said that she has felt some things in my house, heard noises, eerie presence, cold spots, being watched, being touched, I had never been physically interacted with, but every time I go down the stairs, I feel an overwhelming sense of dread and the intense feeling of being watched. I usually end up feeling that way right as I pass the attic door, which is important for this. So about six months back, I started hearing what sounded like rodents in the attic, which very well could be the case, except the distinct sounds of small shoes. So unless the rodents take tap lessons, something is up there. One day I'm staying home alone, it's around 10pm, I started hearing a rolling sound from the corner of my room. The ceiling, the attic floor. It was the sound of a ball being rolled hard enough to bounce off the wall and go back to whatever was rolling it. Well, I wanted to be sure I wasn't going crazy and went to the ceiling and knocked on it. I was shaking because my house has never really felt safe, but I was never convinced there were ghosts. Whatever was up there responded with the same number of knocks I used and at the same speed. To say I almost peed myself is an understatement. One time prior to that, when my best friend was over, she said she saw a shadow in my closet. I have a small shelf above my closet rod. She said she saw the shadow of a little boy in there. Just last night is the most recent eerie situation. I was waiting for my best friend to come get me after work. I was in my room which has two windows, one to the big field and one to the unfenced backyard. The basement stairs are right behind my head and the back door is right in front of the top stair. So I'm in silence, finding a YouTube video to watch on my TV when I hear clear humming from a female voice. Of course, I held my breath and listened. I then heard what sounded like someone pushing against the back door. I ran to my window and looked. Nothing. It wasn't coming from inside. A little bit later, the same thing at the front door. And still, nothing. Am I being haunted? Is my house just old or am I going crazy? Any advice or comments would be highly appreciated in this situation. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell to be alerted of all future narrations. If you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, r Let's Read Official, and give and receive feedback from the community, and maybe even hear your story featured on the next video. And join my Discord to interact with me and other listeners directly. And if you want to support me even more, grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt. Links in the bio. Thanks so much, friends, and I'll see you again soon.